citizens of the verse today is june 22nd 2951 and welcome to another episode of readcast we're a weekly star citizen podcast sponsored by the read organization i'm your host way too geeky and i'm joined by my co-host tonight the man with all the questions seaguard hey everybody Mr. Chekhov is MIA tonight, so we don't know where we're going to get that Russian zest from. But um, more exciting, no offense, Chekhov, uh, we do have a special guest tonight. Uh, we are joined by Grim, who's a member of Star Jump. Grim, welcome. Hello, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. And, and Grim, you actually have the, the honor of being our first uh, Readcast guest who isn't a member of Reed. Awesome. So, I'll take that Thanks honor. so much for joining us. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate um, you having me on. But uh, yeah, I, I guess for starters, for our guests who might not know what you do, why don't you, you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, a little bit more background about you? Well, I'm just a Star Citizen player like most of everyone out there. Um, I guess most people, though, probably know me from uh, some of the cinematic work I've been doing Um starting with the Drake Cinematic last year at IAE and then with the Aegis Cinematic this year at Invictus. So it's kind of the two big projects. There's a lot more going on, but those are kind of the two things I guess people would know me by. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and we, we met you through VMZO, correct? Like you yes. guys do some work together with those yes. cinematics. Awesome. Yeah, a lot of work. He, he helps me quite a bit. Um, if it wasn't for him, the cinematics would not be what they are for sure and with the current projects i'm working on um the some of those projects would be impossible without him because they require technical stuff that i cannot do so yeah i cannot uh, say enough about them oh that's awesome. awesome yeah that is awesome always great to hear now um one of the things that i i forget to ask these days but i always like asking guests for the first time that they join the show what's your favorite thing to do in the game you know i i started playing honestly in 3.8 um like regularly and at that time i was able to do like just trading hauling uh pretty stably and I really enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun with it, just being kind of the space trucker. Um, since then, though, from about 3.9 onward, trading's been in either just not working for me because that patch has been bad for me personally or other issues, just trading being broken or something. So um, I would say trading is my favorite. That's like the thing I'm looking most forward to, especially this cargo refactor that's coming. But when trading is not available, um, I would probably say mining. Yep, that's, I mean, pretty standard stuff that we do, too, uh, yeah. for the most part. That and bounties. <laughs> yeah, I'm 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 not the best dogfighter, so I, I don't get into a lot of ship-to-ship combat. And when I do, I come out of it, you know, usually with no wings, no, no tail. Right. My ship looks right. like a pod, you know, yeah. <laughs> a Drake ship, which is its own... <laughs> Yeah, escape pod and or it works desktop. out because a lot of a lot of the people I play with love combat, so I'm always so they're always willing to like fly escorts. So that's good. Awesome. Now, now you're a member of Star Jump. I I apologize, I don't know that much about you guys. Tell us about the work. Well, so yeah, there's kind of two sides to Star Jump. The first side was really just something to call myself in game um, and. 
the cinematic work started off as just me. Um, so the Drake cinematic I just did, uh, you know, with some people in the community that would like lend a hand every now and then definitely VMXEO and, and stuff. So, um, star jump was just me at that time though. But as I started working on the Drake cinematic, um, a longtime friend of mine who I've played games with for 20 years, I've done, I've done podcasting, casting with him, content creation with him. Um, I got him involved in star jump at that time, mainly to help me run the community, run the discord, um, keep communication with people that were starting to reach out to me. So he kind of started lending a hand there. Um, and then as I was wrapping up the Aegis cinematic, he kind of helped with some audio. So as we move forward, he is going to be creating the content with me because he does, he has a lot of talents in, in the world of machinima and writing and stuff like that. So, Star Jump from the content creation standpoint is me and Ender. Is he goes by Star Jump Ender? So we we're going to kind of do all future content with Star Jump, and then on the org side, it's really just um, a role play focused org um, that doesn't have a specific theme or you know around it other than it's role play focused. We both, both me and myself and Ender, love role play, so uh, we like to kind of do everything through the lens of of, of that. You know what I mean? Um, awesome. so, so yeah, there's kind of two sides to it. There's the content creation side and then the org side. Excellent. Um, now the, the first, uh, you know, I guess after introductions, the, the thing that we like to talk about Grim is sort of what we've been up to this past week in the verse. So if you don't mind kicking us off, what have you been doing in game? Well, um, I've actually been taking, after I got done with the, the Aegis cinematic, I went on vacation, took some breaks from the game almost completely. So I've only just in the last week or two weeks been getting back to playing at all. So um, my first bit of time back this week has been focused mainly on trying to do trading again. And I haven't been worried about making money or, or earning a profit or anything. I've already got plenty of, you know, of in-game money already so I, I really just have been doing it for fun and it's it's actually been enjoyable i've been having a lot of fun i've been using the c2 hercules uh, trying that a lot with trading and yeah it's a lot of fun awesome excellent yeah. what about you Seaguard? what have you been doing uh, let's see so um from a from the division perspective i i finally picked a date to restart you know, doing some of the missions and a couple of guys were saying, Hey, they'd like to do some convoy practice and how to form up, how to align properly. How, what do we do if we're attacked? All those things. So I started off our first, you know, mission, well, not mission, the first event around that. And uh, it, again, it's coming out of, you know, this last couple of weeks of lots of gameplay and everything. So it wasn't huge attendance, but it was, Still a really good time. I think we had five or six people. We each took a big ship. We were, originally it was going to be uh, big ships that we could crew fully, and then I was going to have an opposing force try to find us on a route, uh, at least set up an ambush of some kind, and then uh, have two fighters try to defend us uh, while we defend ourselves, uh, either evade and do some other things. But we didn't really get enough attendance for that. So we really just decided to do practice what we've done in the past twice before, which was forming up, aligning. We got much faster this time. Uh, we were able to jump. Um, last time we had some spreading as we jumped, 
this time we actually had um, three ships literally within five feet of each other, two, two M2 or two C2s with a starfarer in between us. It was uh, <laughs> uh, the two, M2, the two C2s we had lined up and we were supposed to be kind of like the, the edge of the formation and bloody badger decided he was going to shoehorn his way in between us. <laughs> and it literally was, he actually bumped my ship out of the way. So I kind of moved over a couple of feet, <clears throat> but when we launched and we went all the way from Everest to Hurlwell one and we came out and we were exactly in the same place. I mean, we didn't, we didn't spread out, uh, which we've had ships, you know, appear almost 2,000 meters away on a few occasions. Um, I feel that server level probably. <laughs> that probably is. And uh, But it was really interesting. We came out wing to wing, just boom, stopped, and we got some great pictures out of it. <laughs> and then we did uh, some alignment. It, there's one thing to align while you're stationary. We were putting together a couple of little ideas of how to make it more efficient so we're not vulnerable as we leave the hangars and move out, right? I don't want to give away too much because there they'll be our they'll be necessary for us to survive. But we're developing those steps and we're kind of running into them as we practice and we're coming up with ways to deal with those things and, and how to you know better utilize the terrain, which in many cases is a space station, right? You know, do as much as you can there without having to expose yourself to moving in the open. <clears throat> so then we decided we are also going to try some moving turns instead of stopping at a station. We're actually going to pass through the defensive area and align on the move at about a hundred K. I think we're actually doing 90, 90 meters per second because the, uh, the Starfarer couldn't do much more than that. So <clears throat> we were a little bit looser, but we jumped again and we're fine. And then we, uh, went to, um, yeah, went from her went from Everest to Hurlow four to Hurlow one, and then back to Everest, and we all went and landed. And we found out, like, um, you know, we had only five ships at one, basically five or six ships at any given time. Most time it was five, <clears throat> and there was a wait line to get a hang get a hangar. Oh wow! Uh, you know, so I actually I actually waited probably two or three minutes before I was offered a hangar. So I'm just kind of hanging out while the others are getting fueled and, and that leads to a problem because you got some guys finishing up and then they're taking off. Um, but now what do they do while you're pulling out? Yeah. Right. So it's all these little things. So that was one thing we did. Uh, I did some, I tried to do a little bit with um, uh, hauling, tried some different, different commodities and found that I was actually not, I was making some money, but every time I, let's say I would uh, finish a sale and I would get on the next morning, I would, I would make a sale. Um, at one point I had 22,000 I made, uh, or that's what I had in my account. I just sold something. Hadn't bought anything. I flew to another location. I was down to 16,000. Don't even know why it disappeared. Um, and then I got on the next day and I logged out and got on the next day and I was down to 14,000. Don't know what was going on. So I was like hemorrhaging funds. Eventually I got down to 7,000. Oh my goodness. <clears throat> Not that... doing anything. I wasn't refueling. I wasn't doing anything. So I don't know what that's about. I really don't. 
uh, a little weird. But long story short, that's what I kind of worked on, kickstarting the org, practicing some convoy stuff and doing some stuff around the um, uh, cargo. Oh, and, and then, well, then yesterday we did some cave. We went and found some cave, uh, ex- did some cave exploration. It took us longer to find it, so we tried to do some mapping along the way also. Awesome. But, yeah. Um, I, for the most part, have been focused on mining, refining, and, and hauling my mined goods. And the, I have to say, Lyria is amazing for group mining Quantanium. Um, and so my last, like last week, I think I made half a million over the course of three nights, two nights mining, one night hauling. Which was pretty, pretty solid. I feel like for yeah, that's good. You know, for two nights worth of work. Yeah. Um. So we have a lot to cover in the the comings and goings of the verse because we've been um, on a mini hiatus. Uh, unfortunately, listeners, life does get in the way sometimes, and so we didn't manage to record last week. Um. So why don't we jump right into it? Yeah, uh, so. Funny. Just to be honest with you, though, Bloody Badger did thrash us immensely, painfully. <laughs> the scars will not be gone from my mind forever. <laughs> For not having an episode? Yeah. 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 So so just enjoy that on your car ride. <laughs> Bloody Badger. Badger, <coughs> just find another podcast yeah. to listen to in the, in the weeks in between. <laughs> we do nah, this for, big, for no money. Yeah, he's a big fan. He's a big fan. Um, <laughs> so uh, two weeks ago, inside Star Citizen, uh, we actually learned about new manufacturer Gatak, which is a Xi'an manufacturer. They, they also announced showed the the Raylan or Rylan, um, which is a new. It's that cargo ship that we we heard about in concept way back in. 2019 citizen con uh and you know in this case it's interesting because it's not a recreation or a reproduction of a ship it's actually um xion manufacturer making a ship that's a hybrid ship that'll cater to both humans and xion so that um you know the actual ship itself has amenities for both which might who knows if that has any interesting in-game ramifications at some point but it might. Um, and the second half of that episode was about the different alien species in the game. Obviously this was for alien week for those who can't tell. Um, now, uh, Graham, did you have a chance to see that episode by any chance? On the, uh, on the, on the railing or the, in, on the aliens. Yeah. So the, the railing, I, I'm particularly fascinated in i was i think for me it was just a ship that was totally surprising in terms of its look and function you know so i i mean i heard rumors of a xian cargo vessel vessel but really hadn't you know no idea what that would look like um so for me it kind of came out of left field and it just really excited me i, I love i i feel like I will probably tend to fly the human ships but i want to fly in a verse that's populated with alien ships as well. You know what I mean? Just to like, right. you know, push that kind of spaceship yeah. fantasy. You know what I mean? So um, I don't want everything to look like what I'm flying. So for me, I think it's just a nice bit of spice for the verse. So I'm, I'm really excited about the ship. 
Cool. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I'm the same way. I want, I like flying human ships, not because I'm some sort of, you know, xenophobe or anything, but yeah. just because those are the ships that I like. But it's I love that the, the verse could be populated with some. What about you, Seaguard? Love the ship. Uh, I, did I you get one? The, yeah, I did get one. Awesome. And, uh, and I, I love the, um, you know, the spreading kind of, it's not a hammerhead front end, but it's, you know, it's definitely a crucifix, you know, spread out front end. I love the back, the way it's kind of tapered. Um, it's in direct contrast to like the curved shell of the front. Um, and then, you know, that kind of looks like it's kind pushing of, through space. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And uh, almost like, almost like a sail, right? I mean, it's got that sailing quantity and, uh, and then it's got that staggered tail end where the cargo is, you know, <laughs> the cargo pods or containers, I guess they are, it's really, they're containers for cargo pods, um, are staggered in there kind of like a beehive or like like eggs on a spider's back. Um, and then on the inside, you have, an, you know, you have an opposite angle in that the elevator goes diagonally towards the rear you know, across the ship. Um, I really like that. Um, uh, the stairs, the way the stairs pop out and the way I like that lift platform. That is cool. That's very different. Um, even the terminals on the ship too, they kind of fold out of a smaller piece. Yeah. I've got to see those up close a little bit more. I'm not sure. They remind me a little bit of kind of like Superman. Yeah. You know, the, yeah, the Superman the one? ship. Yeah, the, the newer yeah. one. Um, and I, I, it's definitely it, it's not nanotech technology, but it's that. Yeah, it, it's yeah, it, it's just interactive, and I like that. I want to see how interactive it is, how necessary it is to getting things done, or is it you know, like you wave your hands and it executes the command for you, mm-hmm. or is it a push-button thing and you're, it's holographic and then it executes? I, I don't understand the interface yet. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's two things that come across to me about the ship as well. One, in, in, one is that it's from the metrics that they have and when applying those metrics against other ships... It, first off, it's way bigger than I thought from a, yeah. um, you know, in terms of like, it's. I think it's got three decks, I yeah. believe. Mm-hmm. But when you, I, I'm just picturing in my mind, you're at some trading outpost, you know, on some moon. And that thing is coming in and it's hovering above the pad. It hasn't folded down yet in the landing mode. That thing's going to be like 70 meters tall. <laughs> it's going to be just <laughs> yeah. so imposing and feel. And then the other thing is I actually was talking to someone about how, you know, the inside consoles and the chairs are all grab lev and everything transforms. And, the, you know, they were kind of saying, you know, is it too alien? And I said, you know, to me, no, because I I think it would be interesting, like, to walk into that ship and feel like, whoa, what is this? Because I feel like that's the feeling I want when eventually we get alien landing zones in the in this you know in the verse. Right. I want to yeah. be able to walk into that area and feel like, hey, this is alien. You know what I mean? Like yeah. this is unfamiliar. This does not. Yeah. So like things you said about 
Um, you know, maybe the, you, the way you interact with consoles being even slightly different could be cool. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It just is. And, and sometimes that could be through simple things like maybe the inner thought inside that spaceship, you know, when you do the F for inner thought, maybe it just looks slightly different. You know what I mean? As if it's almost reading you tele, you know, telepathically or something. Yeah. I, don't know. I think there's a lot of little design things you could do just to make it, you know, enhance that like otherworldliness right. to it. I, yeah. I, and, you know, you were talking about that alien. It has an alien feel and an alien layout yep. and alien tech, but it has definitely a design aesthetic on the inside that is human. Yeah, yeah. It, it has a normal bed. It doesn't have a levitating, you know, hammock or something or a pod. Mm. And it, you know, those things are recognizable. You could recognize the, the command center with its four seats. I mean, you could clearly recognize that was a, a function. It wasn't some kind of alien tank, you know, you settle into and fluids around your, it's all, you know, telepathically controlled. It was mm-hmm. alien tech and alien inter, uh, interaction mixed with uh, human aesthetics. Yeah. yeah. So I, well, it, I, I think it's pretty unique ship. I think it captures, uh, personally, I think it captures what they said, kind of the lore description of the ship, which is, you know what, Xion are all into, like, the newest trends and the cool things that are happening, and they're like, let's make a ship that humans can use. Instead of retrofitting one, let's just make it so we could share. And so I thought that was really cool, and even, like, the little lore things about the bathroom and Mm -hmm. all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But what I really thought was cool that we didn't talk about so far is the component delivery system on the ship and how it sort of brings the components to the user. Yes. And that's what I was wondering. Do you you, – it almost seemed like they were standing in front of the components waiting for it to be brought down to them, but the console behind them was doing the work. And I – yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't understand what that, how that was really meant to be played out. Yeah, well, uh, it, it clearly didn't show animations from the from the character for us to get a, a good hint. Yeah. Um, so moving on, same same thing that week for Star Citizen Live. It was Alien Week um, driven. It was a game dev episode, which Chekhov and I tend to really hate. But it's Jeremiah Lee, so you can't be too mad because he's funny. Um, but on that episode, he created a new alien, um, which, uh, for those who don't realize or didn't see the episode, it, it's not a new alien in our verse, but an alien, like an in-lore character, sort of like how the xenomorphs or Godzilla are creatures to us in our, in our sort of public conscious. Um, I didn't really watch the whole thing, but one thing I will note is... Jeremiah Lee cranks out a pretty visually stunning uh, concept in an hour. I, I mean, oh yeah, and, and it was funny to see him start with Jared's face. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, but you know, it was pretty impressive. Uh, not my favorite type of episode, but still, it, it it always is interesting. He did the, I remember he did the outlaw look with the uh, while back. He, he it's kind of an mm-hmm. outlaw character. Yeah wild wild west kind of look and and man and his techniques are different every time guys that was almost like a shadow of an image this one was more about real textures from photos and things like that integrated uh 
yeah, he's talented. He's talented, no doubt about it. Yeah, that that um, particular episode, <clears throat> while I didn't watch the entire thing, um, it, that one is um, stuff that I'm very familiar with from my time in the feature film industry, where um, a, a lot of the projects I was involved in, I was involved early on in a concepting phase, and um, we would do a lot of that, where we worked from you know, photography, um, sometimes painted sources, and you would pull those together in almost a collage sort of way and do a lot of paint, you know, painting over that to create whatever, you know, concept image you're doing. And we would bust out tons of those a day. So that last episode was actually the, the, the technique I'm most familiar with when it comes to concepting. So it was kind of cool to see him do it. And he always does great work. So, yeah. Yeah, you know, I would like to see him do one around um, the one of the alien races and do it as a um, with the Von Duel. You know, they're kind of like barbarians, right? Or they're warriors, let's say. Um, And their clothes don't show a great deal of technological advancement, right? Um, Their ships are cool, and you know everything's great about them, but what would one of those guys look like who's super technological? Uh, mm-hmm. like, you know, we would walk in and see, we would equate like a pristine suit in white with gold on any of the connectors and holographic imaging and clean cleanliness, pristine as being a high tech, right? Those are high tech. Well, imagine doing something that like that with a Tavarin. You know they've been adopted into our into the society now. Do they are, they probably aren't running around in samurai clothing, and they probably aren't running around in you know feathers and furs. What are they dressed like now? Right? Yeah, I would, I would like to see that kind of that integration. We only see these these races in their past forms as they, as they were when they warred with us. Um, mm-hmm. But what do they look like now? You know, are they creepy looking, you know, they remind us of, you know, creepy doctors or, you know, <laughs> how, how are they dressed? Is it all sleek business attire, but with an alien cut to it? I, you know, I don't know. I'm they sure it'll be a mixture. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that would be interesting to see their take on how they, they do that. Yeah. I'm sure they already have the concept art for that. They're just probably not showing us for a little bit of. Surprise! I um, um, I, okay. I would love for them to show, and I think they show a lot already. So I don't expect them to ever do this. But I would love for them to show the second phase of of the concept art world that shows. You know, they they show us. You know, Jeremiah sometimes you know creating the art and stuff like that. But I would love to see the next phase of that, which is where. You know, concept imagery goes up for review on a board and stuff is cut and some stuff is chosen to be iterated on and stuff. I'd love if they would show a little bit of the behind the scenes of how they get from the concept phase to a fine to a fleshed out figure. Because I feel like a lot of times with Star Citizen development, we get some initial concept thing Mm -hmm. early on. And then three years later, we start getting information about the what it's actually going to look like in game. But all that middle you know what I mean? And how it right, whittled yeah. away. How, how did it get from A to B? And I would love if they showed that a little bit more. And yeah. We do see some of that in the magazine. You know, the, That's true. Yeah. The magazine's but, really a good place for that. 
Correct. But I've only seen it broken down once where they showed kind of the progressive. And I actually think they had the artist discussing mm-hmm. as part of the yeah. interview what the iterations were when Chris got involved, when he didn't get involved. Yeah. Um, and how it yeah, kind yeah. of, he pushes them. <clears throat> he says, that looks like a million bucks. Now make it a billion. Yeah, that's a good point. And, yeah, that's a great point. And I and I honestly have forgotten about Jump Point um, until you said it. It, it. They do actually a really good job there of showing you that entire path. And, and I almost think it makes you appreciate the development a little bit more because you see how much thought goes into it. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Um, like, yeah. I, I always look at, for example, one of the jump points I look at the most is um, the one on the Kraken's development, just because I'm interested in that ship. And, yeah, you know, some people could look at that ship now and just go, oh, they ripped off an aircraft carrier, you know, easy. But when you look at the actual journey of where they started from and how they got to that, it does make you appreciate the ship a lot more. And I'm sure that yeah. can be applied to characters and landing zones and everything else. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and and I think the thing, the example with the Kraken specifically, it's like, yeah, maybe you could say it looks like an aircraft carrier, but it sure looks straight to me. It's sure, sure exactly, very yeah. utilitarian. Yeah. yeah um, so uh, I would say the chunkier and more content-rich episodes ha- uh, were this past week. Um, ISC- is, that, is that a fat joke? No. <laughs> Just more content-rich. <laughs> they had lots of butter. Um, so the, the first half of ISC last week was all about dynamic events. So they talked about how we're actually going to get a revisit or a redo of Xenothreat, uh, which is great. And this time, um, the whole restocking phase of the Javelin will lead directly into the fleet battle. So it won't be the same as these like multi-day weird scenarios. It's going to flow right into one another. And they think that it'll be really interesting. They also added uh, specific rewards based on points that you get for participating as well as uh, additional audio improvements to help players know what they should be doing at any given time. We also will be getting in 3.14, as if anyone's surprised, um, Ninetales Lockdown. And this one's going to be the first uh, dynamic event where it's going to be a combination of PVE and PVP, and people can choose which side they fight for. Um, it will be a smaller dynamic event, so it's not going to be the same scale as right. um, as Xenothreat, but they did say they'll, they'll be running it multiple times throughout 314. And I think this is one that's sort of, this is the type of dynamic event they're going to be putting in the library that could happen at any given time anywhere and maybe maybe in a different system it's not nine tails it's whatever criminals right. are in that system right uh they also tease jump town part du um and then we got a sprint report so that sprint report included the branding for three new uh companies one was an in-game insurance company one was a tax collection branch of the uee and then there was a ship customization company uh we saw improved uh thruster effects when a ship is hovering over the ground and, and how it displaces uh, sand, dirt, etc. We got a, another look at fire propagation and, and how we'll get to see the direction of the flames and see how it's going to propagate on our ship. We were shown um, 
some changes to the retaliator uh, that they're making in order to bring it up to gold standard. We got another look at the redeemer. We saw what looks like an almost complete Aries ion, as well as a look at canvas lighting. Ooh, canvas slicing for ship huds. And last but not least, we got more images of colonial outposts, hospitals, and med centers, as well as the beautiful city of Orison at night. Um, Grim, what'd you think of this episode? I thought it was awesome. There was a lot in it. Um, I was especially, you know, excited to see um, just again. Well, first off, all the the sprint report is definitely my favorite favorite yes, thing. It's always juicy. of the week. But um, again, it was. I, I'm super happy to see fire propagation still churning along. It seems like just a one-off feature but for me one might say burning along <laughs> yeah burning along to me when i think of fire propagation though i do think of multi-crew gameplay mm-hmm. and a lot of times when um one thinks of multi-crew gameplay you think oh okay pilot engineer gunner you know the turret operators but i think of it um uh, that way but also um you know pilot Someone putting out a fire, someone, you know, those other actions that are not just, um, you know, bespoke roles. And I see fire, um, you know, firefighting and stuff on a ship being one of those things. So that's why it means more to me than just, oh, your ship can catch on fire. You know what I mean? To me, it's a little bit of that, like, Sea of Thieves gameplay. Um, You know, some of my friends, (laughs) you know, it's when Sea of Thieves, it's so much fun when... You know, you're trying to outrun a, another boat, so you got the captain up there, you know, you know, trying to drive the boat, and you got people running up and downstairs, bailing water, patching up the walls. It feels intense. It feels like there's an urgency there. So, you know, that's always great to see, and yeah, everything. It was a great episode this week. Yeah, I absolutely. Agree. What What do you think, Seaguard? What's What's been? What was your favorite part of it? Man, it was so much. It, it was It was really so much. Um, Probably my favorite episode overall. In fact, both of them this week were or, yeah, yeah. This week were just amazing. Um, yeah. Who? Uh, man, I, you know I, one thing I was surprised at that uh, I didn't realize that we were going to see hospitals at Orion and yeah, um, and Microtech so soon. Yeah. Yeah. Well. You know, with medical gameplay coming online, I will say, um, with some information I found out um, recently, just kind of through the grapevine <laughs> of, of CIG employees and stuff, it looks like medical gameplay is going to be bigger than I thought it was, and def- more of an actual gameplay loop, even at this like tier zero stage. So. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I was pretty excited to see that. Not not necessarily surprised based off some of the stuff I've been hearing, but excited to see it nonetheless. And I think that's partially why you see them going so full bore on yeah. all the hospitals. And there's actually going to be like clinics throughout the verse too. So the hospitals mm-hmm. and clinics. Yeah. Well, and and let's face it, the gameplay is not till three fifteen. But you know, the locations being there is just going to be nice to see anyway because they look pretty cool. Right. So you were asking, um, you were, let me go back and answer that question. So definitely interested in all the ship stuff. I mean, that that's probably the top. The one that got me the thinking the most was, it's, you're going to think it's a random thought, but boy, it's, it's uh, to me, it just has given me 
probably an hour's worth of thought on it, um, pontificating it, as I would say. The uh, it's the the layout of the towns, right? You know, the, uh-huh. the little groups of buildings, and I had this thought, it sprung into my mind. I said, wouldn't it be cool if they had a competition to design the best city layout, right? Or the town layout. And at first mm-hmm. I thought, oh, you know, you know, I don't know how we would do that. Maybe we draw the pictures. I don't know. But, but then as I started thinking more and more on it, that was my initial thought. Then I thought, well, you know, towns in Europe are not set up anything like they are in the U.S. And Towns in the U.S. now are set up differently than they are, let's say, in Savannah or Washington, D.C., or even Main Street, USA, with that, you know, Uh um, the old boardwalks on the side. And if you go into a town that has boardwalks still, it definitely gives you that mountain feeling or that western feeling, depending on where you are. And there's a purpose for those things. They, They weren't just created for the heck of it. It wasn't. Mm-hmm. It, it had a purpose in Europe. The towns are clustered together with all the farms on the outside. The fields are on the outside because they used to be walled to protect yeah. them, mm-hmm. right? So they're much more condensed in a European style setting. And then they're going to be close to a hilltop. In uh, American culture, we might put things more near road, a crossroad, or a natural ford in a river. Uh, just because that's where people were traveling as they made these long hauls across the country in wagon trains. In Canada, it's going to be different again, right? Um, I would like to see that kind of opened up and let people kind of submit some ideas on it, right? Maybe mm-hmm. you know, make some stuff you could print out <clears throat> or copy and paste in PowerPoint or something and kind of you know, give us some artifacts and, and how we might Lay out a town, right? Um, I have a feeling we'll see that with the pioneer. Is we'll get to actually lay out the town. I hope so because I think that would be very, very cool. And you know, culturally, you know, you know, we've got to be. It just has to be there. I mean, it has to be different. You can't just have a group of buildings thrown down in the desert and go, "There it is." Yeah, yeah, and I think some story to it. And I may be wrong, but I thought I remember them saying something about how when constructing a town, there will be some sort of a almost RTS layout gameplay mm-hmm. that occurs. Um, again, I could be wrong about that, mm-hmm. but I thought I remember that being a thing. Right. Yeah, I think really that was cool. like the mini game for the Pioneer, sort of the layout mm-hmm. architecting mm-hmm. of it. But who knows, you know. Hopefully, it sounds like everything's going to be more in depth than we initially thought. And you right. know what? Take take as long as you want, as long as the game keeps getting better and yeah. better, yeah. and just keep, make this crazy awesome. <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, even more extensive of an episode was um, Star Citizen Live with the EUPU features team. EUPU. Um, they talked about a number of things, a few of which I'll highlight. They talked about uh, traps um, as being some props that you can use in the future uh, and also will make some missions more complex. They went into some detail about long-distance probing, which is something I really cared about. The whole initial thought process, at least, is that you'll only be able to long-distance probe within the same system. The probes will have their own fuel. They'll have a speed that they can 
reach. And while you're waiting for these probes, they're going to come back, report data, report phenomena, but it's going to be through like signatures and wavelengths, sort of similar to our IR and ER, et cetera. And our job will be to match it up and try and decipher what that phenomena could be. So it could be anything from an enemy Idris to, you know, a big um, patch of quantanium. Uh, and then we'll have to determine based on how much data we collect, whether or not to investigate further and risk it. Uh, the team's also working on atmospheric depth damage in order to harm ships that are getting too close to Crusader's core. That that work is systemic and can be applied to other things. Um, a lot of the team's work has lately been around spawning lootable items, both on character and in boxes. They want those items to be... Uh, to make sense based on, you know, where they are. So if it's a pirate, they don't want high-tech weaponry unless someone's, like, faking it. They want it to be relatively low-tech. But if it's in a research facility, maybe you get a, a prototype weapon. Um, and they want a lot of uh, variability there. The team also wants to make harvestable more meaningful and useful. Um they did talk about ship-based refining and how it will differ from station-based refining. It will definitely be more involved, so you won't be able to just log out and then come collect goods later on. Um, they also sort of hinted at and indicated that Starfarers will have some refining gameplay, and you can choose how much of that ship's role will be based on refining versus refueling. Oh, refueling. <laughs> Sorry, I'm running out of breath. Refueling will... Um, they were really happy with the docking mechanics that came in because they're going to utilize that for refueling as well. They also mentioned that mining as a feature, um, while not completed, is in a pretty good place now, and they're going to move on to other mechanics. Uh, the biggest changes that we'll see in the short term will likely be uh, more variety of content with, with mineables, so more difficult rocks to break, um, as and then... They are also thinking about how they can add to FPS mining. Um, they also said, you'll know when the gameplay loop is done, when the Orion comes into the game, because that adds a lot of different features and functionality to mining. So that was at least the things I gleaned from the episode. Grim, what'd you think? That was jam-packed content. This what excites is, you the most? This is the type of show I want them to do more and more of. Every week. <laughs> yeah, um... First and foremost, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. One thing I'll say is, um, just as an overall, I love hearing that they created a system for something, in this case, docking, and they found another usage for it instead of mm -hmm. constantly having to create all new from scratch systems. Um, so, again, hearing that sometimes, again, reassures me for other things in the game. You know what I mean? Because there yeah. are systems upon systems upon systems that have to be created. So, the fact that they can reuse docking in a new way um, for refueling and stuff, all about mm -hmm. it. Glad to hear that they're being efficient. All the stuff with the Starfarer actually um, was great to hear. And it really goes into something I wish they would talk about more, which is why is such and such ship that I pledged for special. And I thought this episode was great because they really talked about the Starfare. I mean, I don't, I've never cared about the Starfare. I think I don't like its look. <laughs> I don't like its insides. I don't, I was never interested in refueling or refining or any of that, but the way they talked about it and they talked about how this ship was going to be special in that role. I, I seriously started going, Hmm, do I need a Starfare? You know what I mean? <laughs> and 
I, I would like them to do that for all ships. You know what I mean? Talk about why this, why this, um, you know, uh, Carrick is special. Talk about why the crucible is going to be special. Why is, or, or why is a, um, a light fighter special over a medium fighter or a large fighter. And I, I feel like we're starting to get some of that stuff. I mean, even take mm-hmm. into account this whole talk they had about refueling when you transpose that onto a different system other than Stanton, like pyro, which they did bring up. Think about how a large system in terms of distance, like pyro with limited refueling opportunities, that's going to change gameplay for small fighters and, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Smaller ships in general. Um, So it's, it's interesting. I think how something like scale and refueling can affect not just, industry ships but even small fighters i I just like that kind of interconnectedness so again i would like them to talk more in depth about the systems they're putting in place and how that is specifically going to affect ships because whether Mm -hmm. they like it or not we pledged for we 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 are supporting development through spaceships (laughs) you know what i mean they are really the lifeblood of the game in terms of that's our entry point into it you know what i mean um yeah and and so I don't think you can ever ignore the spaceship aspect of this whole thing. So again, I just really like that they were tying, they were talking about refueling, but not refueling is like some vague concept. They were talking about it and like literally how it's going to work for the star fair. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I and hope honestly that it signals, meaningful. It, it does. It sounds meaningful. And I hope it also means we're going to get a smaller refueling ship um, as an option in the future. I think that'd be really cool, but yeah, there was a lot of stuff in that episode, to be honest, but to not talk for an hour about it, I would say that was the thing that excited <laughs> me most was just, talk, you know, hearing them talk about a system in relation to ships. Yep. Interconnectedness yeah. was a yeah, good exactly. Term. That integration. That was a yeah. good term because that really is, that is key. Yeah. What excites you the most, Seagard? Uh, you know, it's a similar theme. Um, I, I've I've always been an Aurora and Starfire fan. I mean, and, and the Aurora, is, I don't know why, it just is the game. The ship that I flew first and the one I felt like, man, I, I was actually nervous. You know, I think I've said that a hundred times on the show. I was nervous. I didn't want to blow myself up taking this thing off this, this spaceship or space station in the middle of nowhere. I was mm-hmm. really immersed and uh, it, it kind of stuck with me. Um, from day one. And the Starfarer is another one. I've always, a lot of guys don't like the interiors. Um, it has an industrial vibe. It has from the day, mm-hmm. from day one. It's big. It has the gantries on the back. It, it has these huge tanks. Uh, you can stack cargo in it, and it's a lot of cargo. Um, you know, it lacks an entryway. Other than the big ramp, I'll give it that. But that ship has fascinated me, and I just knew that there was potential with it. Um, and I, yeah. you know, there's a lot of converts in our group too. Bloody Badger, you know, is an avid guy now. I think Snorkel is another one. I mean, we have lots of people who like the Starfare, and it is going to be essential that those things work well for long to support long expeditions. Um, I have no doubt yeah. that after that episode, the Starfarer suddenly became quite a few people's number one ship to be oh, interested yeah. in. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know. Imagine how much money you can make in Pyro off of refueling ships because that's a dangerous place. Well, and and you know, just to, 
just to move along distance, not only are you going to use that, they're going to they're going to have to find a balance between when it when it how much it carries as a useful load and how much forces it to go back and and refill. Right. Mm-hmm. If if it can go mm-hmm. all year without refilling, well, that's kind of ridiculous. But if you if you want to take on a, a reasonable expedition, you might be able to go out and back with one tanker. But if you want to do yeah. a long one, you might need to have a chain of these things. One that takes you out the first stage, the second one that goes out to the second stage of your journey, and the third one that gets you all the way back, right? Um you know, it's, there's some coordination there. So I was very thrilled about that. I was, I was definitely thrilled about that. I was also thrilled to see, um, you know, hear about the, the updates going on in the Taurus, you know, to bring it up to the, to the modern standards, uh, with light switches and things like that, which means that the common frame of the Connie's will probably be brought to that stage. The Connie's yeah. look pretty good right now, but that'll put him into that realm of, you know, a very good, good ship. And they're, I love those ships also. Um, you know, it was an exciting episode. I mean, they're just, it kind of yeah. like, it reinvigorated me uh, quite a bit. So, yeah. I, I, so I personally, oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I personally, well, that was interesting. And I would say the thing that you guys touched upon that they, they even talked about, I think in more detail than I, I, I did in my description is things like refueling tie into resource management and resource management is a very big system that ties into a lot of other things like yes. power management, like, um, you know, rerouting power, like I think even things like physicalized damage technically tie into resource ma- resource uh, the resource system because you need certain resources in order to um, add to the hull or whatever the case may be. But I think um, I really like the long distance probing stuff, and obviously for me being an explorer and being Mister Carrick it gives me a reason to sit there and find phenomena for the org to go hunt and be able to read that. And it sounds like it's coming in this year or early next year um, based on where it sits on the roadmap. So that's, that's pretty cool because the early vestiges of exploration are built in that. Um, And it gives a reason to take out a character outside of, you know, using it for something that it's not necessarily tailored for. Um. And I hope we hear at some point, you know, why the Carrick is is better at that than any other ship. Obviously, oh, I'm sure yeah. it's going to be able to. I'm sure not every ship's even going to be able to carry those probes. But yeah. you know, why is the Carrick better than the 600 Explorer? Maybe why the 600. So I, I hope we hear what some of those advantages yeah. are. Uh, but yeah, it's, that's what's pretty exciting to hear. My about. guess would be they could probably carry more or probably, yeah. run multiple probes at once or something like that you know you might be able to send out a whole fleet of them across the system um i guess we'll see it'll be exciting to to get more in depth on that uh this week's episodes of isc um or episode of isc will be all about crusader as well as a patch report um it'll be the last one of the uh, season so we'll have a three-week hiatus from that 
afterwards. And then Star Citizen Live will include uh, Todd Pappy and I forgot who else, but um, someone else from the team answering questions about 314. Um, last week, we, we have a mini roadmap uh, wrapped up. Um, not much to talk about, but uh, three changes to release view. Um, the first being that the Connie Chorus uh, passed its final review. So it's committed and will be um, uh, very likely part of the 314 branch, if not a 314X, but it seems like it could be ready for 314 uh, itself. Uh, actor feature letters tier one is under review and they've actually removed that card until the plan's been finalized. Uh, not a huge setback, I would say. Um, and then the bombs uh, deliverable has been renamed from space mines slash bombs uh, to bring it in line with last week's update. Uh, space mines aren't going to be in this pat this coming patch or, or the patch that these, the bombs are in. They're going to be in later. So um, we'll see that as a separate deliverable. So that's the only roadmap changes. Anything shock either of you or, you know, I know Seaguard, you're happy about the Connie. Yeah. I, I've also heard the rumblings about the whole C. Did you hear anything about whole C? It's on the roadmap for sure. Yeah. It looks like it's coming near the end of the year. Okay. Not, not three fourteen. Okay. No, no. Okay. Yeah. And what's exciting about that for me, um, you know, I mentioned the whole cargo hauling space trucker thing, right? Is it seems like they're really building towards that for some big end of year splash because not only yeah. do you have, you know, the cargo refactor, which is critical for the whole series at all, especially the whole C, <clears throat> um, but you have the cargo refactor on the progress tracker, you have the whole C. But you also have just quite a few cargo ships in general um, uh, suddenly in development. You know, we have the, the Gatak Raylan coming on board, which based right. off what I've seen and, and what they showed off, I think it's quite a quite far in development, actually. And, and I yeah. think we could see that pop up on the release view for, I have no clue, but it, it wouldn't shock me if it came up for like 316, you know, 316 or something like that. Yeah. But not only is the hull seat on, I mean, there's, you have the new, the Connie Taurus coming on board, the cargo variant of the Connie, you know, after all these years, it's suddenly making an appearance. And then not only that, but if you look at the progress tracker, they have all the other hull series on the progress tracker. A and B were a given, but, but I'm shocked to see they have the E and D on the progress yeah. tracker. That's awesome. And that's yeah. got to point to two things, in my opinion. One, that, large scale cargo hauling is going to be a thing sooner rather than later, maybe beginning of next year, first quarter next year or something. At least everything seems to be, you know, bottlenecking to that time. But what it also says to me is, you know, when you think about it, it's like, yeah, you could do massive trading between Hurston and Art Corp or Hurston and Microtech, but it feels more right for that sort of scale of hauling to be from, Microtech to Nix or Ruin Station or something. So it almost feels yeah. like it's leading to the game opening up and scale as well. So maybe that's pointing to a, you know, maybe it's late next year, but pointing towards Pyro and Nix and server meshing and jump gates is eventually eventual release. You know what I right. mean? Yeah. 
Yeah, agreed. I mean, it's all speculation for me, but at least it feels that way. The momentum feels that way. I I wholeheartedly agree, and I actually would say it probably points to Knicks more than than Pyro because Pyro is a path to get to Knicks from Stanton, Mm -hmm. I believe, right? There's not a – is there a direct Knicks Stanton? I think you're right. I think you have to go through, and if you you look – at the progress tracker, I mean, they're making some serious progress on Knicks. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's going to be right. interesting. I, I have a feeling we're going to start seeing things. You know, things, um, spoiler alert, Leaks Discord has been saying is we're probably going to see a jump point before it's connecting us to a different system. Yeah. And that they're going to use, they're <laughs> going to put a mini jump point in Stanton just to test bed um jump points and so i think it was something like between microtech and hurston um so that they said could appear as soon as uh you know a 3.14.x patch or or more likely in 315 um or somewhere in between but that sounds like it could be a likely thing um and sort of speaking about wikileaks um or wikileaks (laughs) 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 see leaks um, Evo Cotti is live. We're actually in the second patch of Evo. Uh, they went live last week. Um, and you know, now it looks like it's in, um, their second patch. It launched today. So exciting stuff. Uh, most of it seems to be pointing towards testing out Crusader and Oriason. And it d- definitely sounded really slow, but all the early patches are but super exciting uh grim what what do you think so far have you been reading any of that stuff um yeah a little bit i mean i um i I keep track of it whenever it comes out i've started to temper my expectations in regards to it because i think what and this is by no fault of theirs i think sort of what they do is they cast a wide net you know, amongst mm-hmm. their sources, which is probably the only way you can do it. They kind of cast a wide net and they pull up a lot of stuff. And, you know, occasionally there's a, you know, a 14 pound lobster in there. And then sometimes there's a boot, you know what I mean? And <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like, so if I, I sort of look at it as, um, you know, a peek into maybe what's coming, but I never try to count on anything. But what I will, but what is the most encouraging um, are when they kind of show off code strings that are, showing up in the game files. Um, that's probably what gets me most excited. Um, one of the previous leaks members, uh, Sir Piggles, who's no longer with them. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I know him pretty well and uh, constantly will ask him about, you know, Hey, are you, do you find this in the files? <laughs> you know what I mean? So I, I, <laughs> I love when they post information that's kind of from the files instead of just, Hey, there's a person who works at stones, you know? So, uh, one of the things I know that popped up recently were some strings for the Polaris. So I, um, I'd kind of given up hope when it was removed from the roadmap. Uh, but now my hope is slowly, slowly rekindling. There's like a small <laughs> ember burning in the fireplace. It's not much, but it's <laughs> slightly there. They had some um, placeholder Polaris armor um, code strings or something. So, yeah, I mean, I get excited about that stuff. Again, I, I, it's something that I, I wish CIG would do more of. I know they like to keep things for the big reveal sometimes, but um, I wish they would kind of open the doors a little bit more. But I think leaks has kind of come in to 
to fill that gap. And what, that's probably the reason why leaks has gotten so popular. Yeah. Yeah. Super exciting stuff though. Um, now something else that came out uh, in the past week that I think is really interesting and definitely something we've been hearing about for a while, but um, someone was talking about how they keep getting ganked at Port Olisar and Luke Presley chimed in to say, well, look, you know, something that we are doing that will address this is we are moving away from pad based landing and we yeah. are working on completely replacing Port Olisar. Yeah. Um, now, one of the things that I found interesting was the, the sheer reaction people had to that in the sense that they don't want Port Olisar to be replaced, despite the fact that it's a legacy asset that doesn't fit within the game uh, currently. But also they're assuming it's going to be an R&R, which mm-hmm. I don't think it is. I hope not. We actually had quite a lively discussion about this on the Star Jump Discord as well. Um, I hope it's something special. Um, I personally do not like that they're getting rid of pads um, as an option and I'm kind of moving towards hangers to, to deal with the pad ramming issue. I, I'm, I think there's some other ways they could maybe fix the situation. Um but it's a complicated one, you know, like one of the things I was thinking about was like, well, if, you know, we, we were having a discussion amongst a bunch of people and I said, you know, I, what I think is, I think they need to have, when you come into a busy landing zone, you need to do some things before you enter that landing zone. For one, you need to turn off your weapons, right? Or, or have, or, or they need to build in the functionality to kind of quick turn off the weapons. You need to be at us under a certain speed. speed. You need to have your angle attack at not shooting straight down like a missile. You know what I mean? Yeah. Things like that. And then someone who was in that conversation with me, and, and the reason I thought that is because, you know, air traffic control towers do that. If you take, and then someone kind of came back at me and said, well, that seems like a hard ask when you're going to have people bringing in time sensitive and cargo in to have them go at a speed limit. And I was thinking, well, a lot of times that time sensitive cargo is going to be volatile and should they really be flying in at breakneck speeds with volatile cargo? Yeah. yeah. And it, so you start to kind of look at it. It's a complicated problem, but I would really like there to be when you're coming into a landing zone, you have to obey strict air traffic control. Now, now not no fly zones where your autopilot takes over. I don't like that, but strict no fly laws. And if you violate those laws, for example, if you're coming in, at a speed and and maybe it's like a 10 mile radius, but they see you coming in at a speed 700, you know, whatever you come burning in the atmospheres on flames around you and you're, you have no signs of slowing. They should have size eight turrets there. that just auto lock on you and start lighting you up. Now, obviously the AI for those turrets is probably not in game yet to be effective, but one of the, my favorite things is when I first started playing the game was walking out to Alasar and I was going to my tiny little starter ship. I think it was, I think it was an Aurora, um, walking out there. And over on another pad was a Starfarer, and it was so huge compared to the Aurora. And it was one of those moments. I was like, "Whoa, this game is amazing!" You know what I mean? It was an amazing moment, right? And I would hate to lose all that by everything being confined to hangars. And my last point to this is like, I was just recently talking to someone, and I was like, you know, it would be cool is, you know, when you fly into New Babbage um, to the spaceport there, 
you know, currently you, you get assigned a hangar and you fly in and you land. But when you're coming in on the top of all those of the spaceport, there's tons of empty landing pads just sitting there. And I think they're for decorations. But what I would like is I would love the ability to, yes, you can park at a hangar and have your ship stored. But if you just need to land for a minute, I would love if you could land at those pads and not be trespassing or, or have your ship towed away like it currently does. I think there's a place for pads. I just think some systems need to come on the online to make sure they are properly guarded. But I also think parking your ship on a pad maybe should have a little risk to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, the The last point I'll make, and I'm sorry I'm rambling here, but... No worries. I have never had... I, I know pad ramming is a major issue. I've had people say, oh, it's terrible, terrible. I got pad rammed all night tonight. I've actually, in my entire time playing Star Citizen, I only had one night where someone was deliberately trying to pad ram me a couple times. You know what I mean? Like, I really haven't had that issue too much, and I may just be very fortunate, but I would hope through the law system and a better air traffic control system that they could come up with a solution to keep pads. Now, a lot of this comes from my Star Jump partner, Ender, uh, worked air traffic control in the Navy. And we talk a lot about this, about how there's a lot of systems that you could put into place, the speed limit, angle of attack limits, all that kind of stuff that would probably solve the problem. Now, you also need to have a jail sentences that are punishing enough. Or, for example, not only jail sentences, but claim, but um, let's say ship claim prices or impound prices. If you violate the law, your impound price to get your ship out of impound is very expensive. You could curtail it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I think. <laughs> so what yeah, I would yeah, say, I what I would say is just in terms of, I, I don't think, even though Luke sort of was talking about the hangers as a solution, I don't think the move towards hangers is the reason. I don't think that's the reason why they're moving towards hangers. I think they're moving towards hangers because once they have better calling in the game, it will reduce the number of visual assets that that slow down a server um, because it'll be behind a wall and they can call the entire ship from everyone else's view. I also think they want to avoid ships popping into existence. The one thing I would say that sort of counters that, and I love the fact that you talk about, you know, that Alisar provided those really amazing vistas for you to be able to see. And that, that variation in ship size. I think the one thing that I would counter with that is if they don't want things popping in and out, how do they plan on managing and navigating that with docking arms? Because there's nothing that's going to hide the ship there. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, as we know, there's some ships, you know, like the Orion and and Hull E. And those are huge ships. Yeah. Javelin. That are not going to be able to land, and I, I don't think they're going in a hangar. Unless <laughs> no. I'm wrong. Yeah, right. no, they're yeah that's a great only. question. So I wonder. I mean, unless they're going to have some kind of animation, as if you know they've got like a, you know, a ship. Uh, uh, what should we call it? A valet that's moving the javelin out. It's either going to persist, or you know, I mean, what happens when you log off? It just stays there. I don't think so. Yeah. yeah. Um, what do you what do you think, Cigar? I you know for me it's um, I'm I understand replacing Alasar 
but it does have a certain charm to it, right? Um, and I definitely like looking down the pads and seeing the other ships. That stuff was cool. Um, but it does feel more like a feels like a, a Wawa's in the middle of space, right? It doesn't feel truly as ambitious as the size really is in the game. Yeah. Um, so uh, I definitely could see getting replacing it, and I think it should. If, when it comes to hangers and those other activities, you know, uh, I am also with Grim about the control mechanisms. Like I see the around Hurla One and some others, you have the you know kind of like the fake landing strip effect or approach mm-hmm. lights, right? Well, what's the advantage to those? I mean, do you get an extra boost the speed when you depart on this? What are those for if they're not there to guide you in? <clears throat> right? Um, and how do you, you know, or do they point to the next star system? What are they, what are they for? Um, I, I like the visual effect. I mean, especially in the gas cloud, it's very cool. Um, but I also recognize the fact that you really don't need like, you don't need to put an Aurora in a massive hangar. It has to be more like a honeycomb. Yeah. Right? And there has to be some kind of mechanism of queuing so that people aren't just running in and out and smashing into each other. Yeah. Right? So I think the speed limit in the control um, is definitely a factor. Um, I like that idea. If they can, If they can pull that off and make it a relatively quick stop, um, for people who are just passing through, I think it's it'll be fine if they're using small hangers, leaving the big ones for the big ships, and then have a section for docking. Um, I used to really like the old um, refueling setup they had, you know, with the little drone that would pop up. Oh, like Cryastro? Cryastro. I used to really like that. And uh, I almost wish there was kind of like a, a service area that you could bring big ships in and kind of move them down, and you want to get them refueled and repaired, you get maybe there's four of these docking areas, and there's a constant stream of little, you know, bumblebee uh, MPVs and utility vehicles going back and forth like a, like a you know, army of ants. Um, I think that would be really fun. But again, you're going to get stuck with all those visual assets you have to draw. So yeah. I think it's it's got to be something like a hanger to reduce the draw. Yeah, I mean I've I've constantly wondered, you know, when they brought things like trolleys and stuff in, I constantly wondered like how this was going to work when all the cargo is physicalized and you have to do you know manual loading scenarios. I'm like, well, where are you, where are you parking your ship during all this? Yeah. And I'm thinking, well, currently when you park in a hangar, there's a time limit that your ship is in that hangar, and and there's no cargo elevators to those hangars, to my knowledge, at least not yet. So if you, you know, if you were, I, I, if you're supposed to load your ship physically, are you landing in a hangar? Maybe that's attached to the cargo, you know, module of the space station. And then you have access to walk from your ship to the cargo area, load up a trolley, walk back to your ship. Or, you know what I mean? I can constantly keep wondering yeah. how that is going to work. And partially, um, well, my interest in that is because that is the stuff I love. I love logistic gameplay. Um, it's one of the reasons I played Arma 3 for so long. And 
if you ask anyone I played with, most of the time I never fired a shot in that game. I was all about figuring out what we should be loading into the choppers, what we should be loading into the G. You know what I mean? I love right. that gameplay. Right. And so I think about that stuff a lot. I, I, I still don't totally know how they plan on solving those logistic aspects of this. Yeah. I, I, I will I, say, I think you see the, I think you see the cargo elevators in the hangar. Oh, do you don't okay. have functionality? Yeah. Gotcha. yeah I mean, they're also the sides, just like the drone repair station. Oh, okay. So maybe you'll take an elevator to the cargo deck. You'll load up a trolley, bring it down on the elevator. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And you can see the cargo elevator doors for the pads are mm-hmm. those big doors there. But if they're replacing pads, then I guess it'll be different. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. I cut you off, Seaguard. I, I was going to say the current cargo deck and the way they're doing it, I do not think is kind of the commercial grade. I think that's for like the um, mom and pop of the, the trucking business. Just almost a few like boxes. The, yeah, sort of thing. almost yeah. like the FedEx version, right? When you go out onto the gantry arms where they have the cargo storage area, it's mill van, you know, it's huge containers stacked like, you know, in a honeycomb. Mm-hmm. And you can fly between these things. There's hundreds of them. Yeah. Um, and to me, I have worked on the harbor a couple of times. I've had to load ships in the military and, and, Big ships, you know, these are several hundred foot long cargo transports or car transporters for uh, commercial companies used by the military and uh, you know, overhead cranes, you name it. Um, the, the harbor is a very complex operating environment, right? It's it's not, there's very specific tools to move those mill vans around. There's very mm-hmm. specific mechanisms to hold them together so they're almost structural. Um, there's, uh, accounting for which, which vans go to which ships and which ship, which vans just came off or containers just came off of a ship. Um, there's railroad connections, there's ship docks, there's unloading berths, there's refueling, you know, areas, there's, you name it. I mean, there is, um, you know, repair and refit it's a complex mechanism and that's what I really get excited about. If we can see stuff like that around Hurston, that would be really neat. <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah. Not, not just one space station. It's a I know, small colony of space stations. Yeah. I know that there's, <clears throat> is it elite dangerous that um, when you pull a ship, maybe it's not, I can't remember which game it is, where you pull a ship and it comes out on the pad but the but the ship kind of goes into the station and gets risen up on like an elevator, and then the it elevator does. when it reaches the top is the pad. I think that, that is elite. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm a little surprised they didn't go that route with some things, and it also makes me this whole topic of pad and hangar thing uh, kind of makes me think of when we can build personal outposts. You know, are we going to build essentially? pads or hangers that are underneath the surface you know what i mean um but kind of going back to what um you were just talking about um you you take a ship again i'll I'll use the kraken as example just because i I know a lot of its specs but any ship like you know the whole c the whole d the whole e any of these ships with massive cargo grids i mean even the merchant man you know, let's. I'm not sure what its grid's going to end up being, but let's say if it's the proposed kind of 1500 SEU or something, 
I mean, these ships, as they're getting bigger and bigger, are going to take longer and longer to load. And they have said um, on shows in the past that these monster ships, I mean, you're going to be loading them for a while. It may take an hour, hour and a half to load these monsters. So again, it'll be interesting to see what facilities and stuff they have to support that length of gameplay loop. You know what I mean? I would yeah. love to see it 24 hours. Yeah, or or exactly. Now you you know, however reason, long it takes. You're you're hauling this, you know, holy and you're going to offload your supplies and you're going to get another load picked up. The captain yeah. and logistician guys have to run around and coordinate all that. But the crew needs to go on R&R, so they need to catch a shuttle down to the Area 18 mm-hmm. and go find the local bar and get hammered and try to pick up girls, right? I mean, it, it's there's a whole ecosystem that goes on around this. It's a huge industry. Well, with like 100,000 um, SCU of cargo, you probably expect it to take a few days. Right, right. <laughs> and, um, you know, yeah. we could, you know, and, and even – like the differences between ships, I a caterpillar is is very much a versatile ship in that it is able to go to a station. It can carry a fairly large load. It's mostly dry. It's not. It may be refrigerated goods or something like that, but it's not liquid, right? It's it's not containers um, unless they're individually container uh, cubes. And it has its own tractor beams to help it offload and onload. So we can go to very primitive areas and offload a fair amount of cargo. A freelancer doesn't have a tractor beam as, as far as I'm aware of. So mm-hmm. it can go to even more primitive places, but it probably needs to have some kind of cart system to be able to manually unload it there. And it's not on the ship right now. So you could land a freelancer in the middle of a place, have a great buyer, but nobody will unload your ship. Um, I think, you know, and in real life, there are tramp steamers that go to these out-of-the-way places on an infrequent schedule, and they're not chartered, they're not liners, and they have a lot of their own derricks and cranes on the deck, and they don't carry a huge amount, but they travel up and down the coast and go up the river inlets and they can unload into these small villages mm-hmm. in Alaska or in Africa or in, you know, wherever it may be. Um, or like bush plains and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. They all have a different purpose. Right. And uh, I, I just don't want to see that just come down to, I want the ships to be varied enough. So that it just doesn't come down to, Oh, this ship carries more than that one. Therefore I'm, I'm always going to take that ship. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, I want to be that guy who's taking a a big cargo ship like a caterpillar into a place where other guys cannot go. Therefore, I'm making money for doing that niche environment. And and then the counterpart is that when I load up, I may not have pecking priority when I show up at a big space station with hullies. There might be seven hullies there taking up all the resources. Mm-hmm. You know, never mind the guy showing up in an Aurora. I mean, that's like showing up at you know Atlanta, you know Atlanta Airfield with its six or eight runways and an Cessna. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, uh... just, I there's there needs to be purpose to these ships and differentiators for them to be useful. Yeah, I I see the um the Caterpillar, for instance, as a cargo ship. One, you could see its appeal to pirates because mm-hmm. if you blow up a whole E. Then you have the tractor beams on each side and the doors open on 
all sides so that you can quickly get the um, containers into your ship. Right. Um, and, and, you know, grab as much as you can as quickly as you can. Um, but I could also see that being a really compelling ship for making deliveries because say, say you're using the different sections to separate destinations, right? right? You might be stocking up all of our outposts on one ship. And so the first outpost is going to be in the back module, the second, the next one, et cetera, where you can actually segment that. Cause you can see they all have their own manifests on that catwalk. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I do think a lot of the cargo stuff, I don't think you're going to be, I, I have a funny feeling you'll have the ability to do this. Like, a whole E. I have the feeling you have the ability to manually load it, but I think a lot of cases it'll be hiring the deck workers um, to do it for you. AKA it'll be a loading timer. That's key. And and I would really love them to talk more about this. I know they've talked a little bit about, for example, hangar storage fees and things like that for these ships, but you bring up a great point. And when you think about the loading of a ship, let's, if you take in all the financial, you know, capital you're going to have to come uh, prepared with when loading, say, a hull E, um, you know, it, what are you going to have to pay for? Well, you're going to have to pay for those deck workers, maybe um, the pad or hangar space or docking space for your ship. So right. that may turn into a balance of like, well, what, like, I wonder if it's going to go as deep as like, well, you can h- hire really skilled deck workers who can load it faster thus decreasing your pad costs, but they cost more because there's more skilled workers. You know, like how deep is that going to go? And that mm-hmm. level of like logistics metagaming is really interesting to me. Now, I don't necessarily want Star Citizen to turn into the spreadsheet simulator, but no. I would like a little bit of that because I think that that's what's going to separate small-scale industry or commercial gameplay from the large scale. And and I'm interested in both scales. But, for example, if you know, hey, you know what? I got all weekend to play this game. Uh, I got no responsibilities this weekend. I'm going to load up my whole D. Then you can break out the, the calculator and really get into it because things take time. But if you just got an hour to play, well, then you would go not with the whole D. You'd go with your freelancer max because it's less spreadsheet gameplay at that, at that level of the gameplay loop. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, so uh, that brings us to everyone's favorite segment. Uh, anyone want to venture a guess? It's time for science. It's time for science. <laughs> <laughs> I just like listening to the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's debate whether we should talk during it or not. <laughs> well, I've heard we whenever. Decided, I think we just decided to debate during it, and that's where it's going to be. As long as it's nothing <laughs> substantive, because I think yeah. the equalizer matches it with our voices, so it's hard to hear, whereas uh-huh. the intro scales down. Um, so, for those who don't know, uh, for science is the part of the show where we talk about when we've done something in the name of science. Um, before we go into uh, you guys and what you've done, we actually got a, a submission uh, on our discord for something oh, that 
folks have done. So Captain Syrian and MK3 Generic did a tiny little science experiment for us. Um, they took an M2 and uh, tried to fit some vehicles in it. Uh, and they <laughs> wanted to confirm that you could indeed fit an arrow, cyclone, and a nice big tonk in the ship all at once. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Impressive on the arrow, because uh, me and a friend tried that. It was really tough. <laughs> really tough. <laughs> so that's that's impressive. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what they did. Um, Good for them. Good job. <laughs> Grim, I know you're not a, a regular weekly participant in the podcast, but is there anything you did that was sort of in experimentation in the game this past week or so? Yeah, believe it or not, when I'm playing, I'm usually experimenting with something. Um, so uh, <laughs> this week, I I made it a point, and I typically, when I'm flying, I'm I, more often than not, I'm either flying my Carrick, uh, which is kind of my favorite current ship, or yeah, um, ship. yeah or the C2. And whenever, as you probably very well know, when you go into land at like Area 18 or you know, Hurston, they assign you a hangar that is about two inches larger than the <laughs> ship, right? So I've been making it I've been making it a point um, this week to whenever I land, I try to come in for a landing in the Carrick or the C2 and never pause once. Just come down in a nice, gentle glide slope that's perfectly aligned and try to get it in the hangar perfectly. I've had a lot of fails, but I will say I had one success that was so beautiful. I couldn't believe it. The ship came in out as a out as a probably a constant fifteen SCM, nice and smooth all the way down to the pad. Never stopped once. So I was quite very proud. Cool. So, very cool. That's, very I mean, cool. Um, and I'll just Seagard say, appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, I'll just say, please, CIG, bring back the landing <clears throat> radars, please. Forget. Yes. To oh, please do. I, yeah. I don't recommend using your auto land when you have a C two in the hangar. It does not work well. <laughs> I tried that. But... Mine ended up twisted sideways and stuck. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, in the effort to course correct, sometimes it'll hit the wall. Um, oh, yeah. Now, Grim, did you, were you in third person at all, or were you doing this in first person? So I um, I was in first person the whole time, which I'm actually quite used to landing in first person, especially from Arma with helicopters. So I came in at first person, and then literally as – my landing gears were kind of sinking below the hangar door level. I switched to third person and rotated my camera and I just let it go. I wanted to watch and see if it would land and it did it perfectly, but I was hands off keyboard. I don't know if you've seen that scene in Prometheus when they're heading to to fly in the one ship into the other and they're like, hands off. I just went hands off. (laughs) Let it go. (laughs) Wow. That's that's cool. Which, which of the two ships was it? I did it in the Carrick this time, yeah, which is the harder of the two because it's because it's longer. So yeah, it was the Carrick. I feel like it's it's longer, but it's easier to judge how where your ship needs to be to go into the hangar properly because that has that yeah. glass on it, the bottom. Yeah, in general, my rule with the Carrick is when I'm landing, even at, like even if I'm pulling straight forward into one of those front loading hangars or coming down, is that the wall in front of you, you should feel like you're 10 feet past it already. And that's usually the right distance. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a weird optical illusion, but um, yeah. So it was with the character. That's great. Yeah, what that's about good. you, Seaguard? 
Oh, I think I talked about it a little bit in the beginning. I will I'll tell you the one on the cave yesterday. I was, uh, we were trying to follow these very detailed instructions using six, six points of orientation to find our way to the cave. And it literally was like, fly to OM, blah, go out, aim at, you know, OMX, travel to within 1,400 kilometers, stop, reorient on OMZ, travel forward and drop 300 kilometers. It was just one of these, you know, incredibly complex. Someone took a lot of time and it it definitely works. Um, But I was really trying to think of a way to, they need to give us some kind of tool. But um, I think there is a, I was thinking of a way of trying how to do it differently. And this is going to sound really silly, but as a manual way, I would actually use um, maybe like clear acetate, like a page divider, you know, the single page size clear. Mm-hmm. And I would put grids on it and I would make it so that it flips down over the center of my monitor. And then if you could align and basically use those to mark out the visual distance, you know, of, of how you align markers. So, you know, you could say put... OM3 in box number J2 or A2, and you should be looking at, you know, HDMS, you know, uh, you know Babbage or whatever it is, you know, whatever the, the local site <laughs> is. And, you know, they should, that should be in where your reticle is, and you should travel forward until the third marker moves into this position. And then you're there. Um, we really don't have a way of cleanly marking out um, how to find things without using some kind of visual cue. And I think, I think there's a way to maybe do that. Um, yeah. You just kind of flip it down over your screen when you need to use it. You'll always have a center point because you'll have your reticle for the direction your ship is facing, but uh, it'll tell you how many degrees you're turned, you know, turn, you know, till the, this box is aligned to this square and you should see X, right? Um, so I, I just played with a little bit of that stuff. And um, I think, I think that's a possible way to do it. The other way was that when we did find it, I flew off to one of the, the nearest site and got behind it and tried to figure out the direction it would be f- from that site. You know, basically um, you know, you start oriented towards the top end of the landing ramp and turn 30 degrees to the right. And you can measure that kind of off your screen, 30 mm-hmm. degrees, and then you'll travel, you know, 200 kilometers until you hit the water and it'll be, you know, in that area on that first island, right? It would be a more of a directional thing. It's just too hard to use the OM beacons directly. It's easier to go to a ground spot you know of, figure out what the angle is, and then go to that, go to your, to repeat the, the travel to that site. Um, so those are two things I kind of fiddled with. Uh, thanks to Snorkel and a few others. Uh, and uh, and uh, yeah, there's a few of us on last night doing stuff. So Excellent. Um, so that I didn't really do anything for science, so I don't have anything to share. Um, but that brings us to uh, two weeks ago, Seaguard, you had a question. And 
if I could surmise it uh, really quickly, it was ground convoys. Thoughts? Yes. Um, no response. No, we got uh, um, so snorkel submitted a response. Okay. Um, his answer is an emphatic yes. Favorite game of mine is the RTS game called Homeworld: Deserts of Karak. It's based around giant fleets and carriers that are land-based. Imagine a navy in a sandy desert. I could see there being a planet with such strong gravity that any atmospheric flight becomes prohibitively expensive fuel-wise or outright dangerous to, to impossible. This would allow wheelbase vehicles to shine with some super fun land-bound gameplay. We've all seen Mad Max, need I say more? And then he also said, shout out, um, he said, as an avid biker, tell Kilgore, safe travels, and watch out for IRL griefers. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. Uh, so so some, some love from the Care Bears, Kilgore. <laughs> <laughs> We're living vicariously through you. <laughs> yeah, I'm send some an pictures in, huh? <laughs> I'm wearing an eye patch just for you, man. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I, I agree, too. I mean, I think ground convoys sound like a cool idea. You know, I, I'm sure Star yeah. Citizen's thinking of ways to use ground vehicles for yeah. gameplay. You know, he uh, he came up with a, a good idea about the, you know, the, the gravity or whatever. The uh, You could actually use, this, you know, those space elevators you always see that are kind of in geosynchronous orbit. Uh-huh. And uh, that's how you get down to the planets. So you could bring anything down or up, um, but you wouldn't be able to bring a ship down, right? But that would be a neat, cool, cool gameplay. My, I don't have any, I don't have any knowledge of, as far as I know or wise, of a planet that might be that prohibitive. But right. what I do think of when I think of sort of the <clears throat> ground-based um, behaviors is I, I always we, we talk about this constantly Seagard, but that Lear 3 demo that they did where the ship yes. had to find a landing spot that yes. wasn't dangerous because um, of atmospheric conditions yeah. and he took out Inersa. I think they'll try to force some of those things. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I, think, I think that could be I have these neat little Ursa rovers and I think they're a great um and i love the way like the back of the the uh what's the the clamshell no the hand the, kind of like a home v kind of looking vehicle um oh the um cyclone yeah, cyclone cyclone. The yep. cyclone you know the back the way a cargo pod opens up and you know mm-hmm. you can store it, it you know i it's a great great looking um it looks just fun especially if you could camp halfway through right you could you know, it's a two-day thing, and you got to sleep on your cots in a tent or something in a habitat that you inflate. I mean, that would just be awesome. Uh, you know, but, uh, yeah. So, yeah, I'm glad he wrote back. That's a good answer. Yeah. What do you think, Graham? What do you see the kind of future of ground-based vehicles? Well, I mean, I think that they're going to get very useful when um, – you know, again, a lot of the stuff we've talked about during the show comes online when you talk about, you know, um, things such as uh, a real cost of fuel and, and um, you know, ships, you know, be very, being very, ineff- especially large ships being very inefficient with fuel and atmosphere, uh, fuel cost, fuel rarity, um, 
wanting to be careful with your ships, obviously, because you can't just go reclaim it every time. Right. When a lot of those systems come on board, when you land your ship in the future, I think it's going to be less of like, oh, I'm just going to buzz around the surface here kind of carefree. And it's more going to be like, all right, I'm going to land. I'm going to unload my ground vehicle, which has got lower risk to it, and use it to do my surface you know, activities. Um, I obviously think that they could bring in you know, that vehicle cave gameplay. Um, I think that there's, they could, they could create an entire zone, you know, zones, maybe pirate zones or something that are actually um, locked down to air traffic completely. And, yeah. you know, you have to land on maybe on the outskirts and drive in. I always thought that could be kind of cool. Um, like yeah. land on, imagine if you had to land on the outskirts, you know, a couple miles out from this small, you know, pirate trading outpost on the, on the surface of some moon. And Mm -hmm. so you have to take the risk of parking your ship way out there and driving in. But the reward is that they buy XYZ commodity at such high prices, or you can fence stolen goods there, whatever the case may be. Uh, Combine that with, um, I mean, we've seen, we've seen how popular the Tonk is and um, the Nova tank and, They've stated, you know, they're going to do more treaded vehicles. I, I think the more they create and the more they work on ground vehicles, the more they're seeing a bigger picture there. Um, yeah. You know, theaters of war. I think theaters of war is interesting because it's it, – I'm actually really interested in theaters of war, even though I'm not really a combat player in, in the PU. I'm interested in theaters of war because it does resemble a little bit of the combined arms gameplay of Arma Three. So I, I, I kind of like that because there's a there's a complicatedness to the combat. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think vehicles definitely have a role to play there, and ground vehicles most definitely have a role to play there. So um, I think in in game modes like theaters of war, they'll have no issue finding a usage for them. Everything from you know, running capture the flag matches to whatever. But in the PU, I think they're going to need to find real tangible in universe, in lore reasons for why I would pull a cyclone out of the back of a star runner and drive across the surface. You know what I mean? I'm hoping in, in areas such as, um, we'll take the Carrick and the Ursa, for example, I would hope that, you know, if you're off in some far off system, it doesn't make much sense in Stanton's the problem. But if you're yeah. in some far off system where there's not very many opportunities to refuel and the gravity on the planet or atmosphere is thick enough that you're actually burning more fuel than you should, my goal is to get that ship on the ground as quickly as possible and then, or keep it in orbit and use my, my C8X. But if it's going to the ground, I want to get it down to ground and then break out the Ursa to do that ground exploration instead of just casually flying the Carrick around the surface looking for things. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I guess, so again, like a lot of Star Citizen, I think it's a lot of interconnected systems that when they come online, if the vision holds true, it's going to make other parts of the game have meaning just through factors coming together, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. You're right. Right. I. I agree, and like I feel like something like a Carrick, when it's trying to do ground-based exploration, it'll be great at identifying the meta phenomena. But mm-hmm. then you're not going to need to use your shuttle, your you know your C8X or your um, Ursa for the micro. 
I feel like, you know, because there's yeah. going to be jungles, and, there's going to be caves, there's going to be. Yeah. And, and also, um, I, I personally hope we get to weather conditions that make an atmospheric flight in certain ships very dangerous. Yeah. Um, we are now. You know, yeah, yeah, that's true. They're they're there now. But then you land the ship and it flies away from you. Yeah, and you know the same thing applies to to shuttlecraft and just ships. I want the same thinking that that will be required for ground vehicle to be there for the other ships, which they are doing, as far as we know. But one of the reason, one of the things I thought that was so cool about the Carrick when I when I got that ship was I read somewhere or saw in a video or I can't even remember where I saw it where they specifically said that the Carrick will be very good in a system like Pyro that has high radiation and stuff because of its armored hull. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, and I was like, oh, that's cool because that means, you know, if my friend has a ship, let's say he has a Star Runner and we're going to go out to Pyro, there's a reason that we should probably take the Carrick. Yes. You know what I mean? And And... And, and the same thing is like, you know, um, you know, you have some big ship and you want to, you know, like say the Idris and you decide to take the MP UV down to the surface, you know, the little Argo shuttlecraft. I want there's, I want all those reasons to be there. You know what I mean? Right. Um, yeah. yeah. So hopefully when all that comes on board and, and, and it'll make everything have its special moment, you know what I mean? And, and that way it's, you know, when you go down to the surface, you're not going to see a 85X racing a Kraken. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're going to see yeah. the appropriate ships where they would normally be. And I personally like that from, you know, just making things feel authentic. And it seems like CIG is heading that way. So, yeah. Yeah. I agree. I echo um, those sentiments. So- those sentiments. Yeah. Um, so now uh, we have some questions to answer. I believe they're all Discord-based this time. Yep, they're all Discord. Um, first one comes from MK3 Generic. Uh, he says, hello, I've got a question and some relevant information I haven't heard discussed on any other medium which hooks into it. As I've come to understand through the podcast, some of you enjoy The Nomad, a ship which also has a special place in my heart as well. It was my very first pledge. Um, not my first pledge because none of our, well, at least um, not your Seaguard, not Chekhov's, but definitely we, I have one. Chekhov has one. Yeah, um, I sold mine, but I, I definitely like the ship. It's a cool little ship. Um, but he said, one thing about it has been a, a bit of a downer for me. For a ship sold for more of a nomadic lifestyle, it can't really go very far while perusing around planets and moons. The community proposed more fuel efficiency to be implemented, which CIG didn't do, but they opted for bigger fuel tanks, if I remember correctly. However, hidden in a Reddit post about the landing bay physics fix in Alpha 313RPTU was a comment by Matthew in Treary, uh, lead ship technical artist, he mentions that in the future they'll be adding Gravlev physics. Do you think this is a good addition to this ship to help alleviate some of the possible intended drawbacks, fuel usage, um, as an example, of the ship? Can you see it being a ship which is much more efficient on the ground than in the air? Um, what, what are your thoughts, Grim? First of all, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the Nomad. Second of all, yeah, I, I'm, the fuel. 
I've never thought about GravLev Tech in that um, in that kind of frame framework. Um, so that's interesting. I don't know if I have an answer for that um, in terms of how it could improve the efficiency, um, you know, on the ground or, or maybe within atmosphere. But that's interesting to think about. In terms of the Nomad, though, I will say that um, uh, it's I, – I like it. And I can't understand why I like the ship, but I don't like it at the same time. From and, and it's purely design aesthetics, um, but I sort of feel that way with all consolidated outline outland ships. I have this weird attraction to them, but I kind of think they're all ugly. So it's yeah. it's not a bad thing. It's just something about the design aesthetics of consolidated outland, and I think that CIG has a really interesting challenge with the with all of consolidated outland ships because their design sort of ethos is is very bizarre and, and kind of um feels different from ship to ship which is totally fine but the nomad um i, I love that it's sort of this um space truck you know what i mean i, I like it for that it, it definitely is like the cyber this tesla cyber truck of mm-hmm. reverse in my opinion um I really enjoy flying it. I have flied it for a while, especially when it was the like uh, subscriber perk or referral. I forget which perk it was. So I flew it for a little bit then, and I really enjoyed it. It's a lot like um, it's a lot like a Talon or something to me, though, where I really love the ship. I love flying it. I think it's really cool. I love the Prowler as well. Like there's ships that I'm like, man, that's so badass. But I'll probably never own one. <laughs> <laughs> or if I do, I'll probably buy it in game. I think that's what it is. I think they're buying game ships for me. Yeah. Um, I really, I, but again, I, I like them. I just can't put my finger on why I like them. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> um, I mean, I'm in the yeah. same boat. I, I also really like the experience. I think that's one of the cooler parts of it. Yeah. Um, Seaguard, what do you think? Do you think this is a potential solution for the fuel efficiency? I, I think that it's another form of ground transportation that can be um, developed, right? Um, I can see GravLev becoming something that's used on higher tech worlds or mm-hmm. in more expensive vehicles on lower tech worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know that it's going to change the uh, overall effectiveness or efficiency of vehicles over the, the standard tire as they have it in the game. Um, you know, it is a tire is an efficient way of getting around. It's a wheel. Uh, yeah. Grav Lev is, is technology. So I think it would be great in areas um, like area 18. It would be that technology would be great to see on a, a line of vehicles by consolidated for grand transportation. Um, and yeah, and I do think it is. If the Aurora, if the Aurora is a car, you know that brought us into space, then the Nomad is the pickup truck with a king cab on it. Yeah, because um, I think the other pickup truck is probably the Reliant. <laughs> right. Yep. And again, no. it could be systems based. I mean, there's a lot of ways you can make yeah. GravLev really interesting. You know, planets yeah. with. Toxic surfaces, acidic surfaces, yeah. you know, sulfur, you know, sulfuric surfaces. Gravlev would be great. Yeah. Maybe Gravlev, Gravlev would be great for um, drop ships. You know what yeah. I mean? Where you can yeah. make more hard, you know, harder landings without damaging your yeah. ship. I don't know, but 
I, there, I think there the could technology be a is cool, and I do think it should be more in the game. I do think there should be more of it. So uh, I'm reading into his question a little bit more. I think what he's saying, though, is that Grablev, as as a feature of the Nomad, uh, may help with their actual yeah. fuel efficiency. And so I guess my assumption would be that would mean it'd have to be pretty close to the ground. Yeah, yeah I, would, I can't see how it would help. Yeah, I don't, to me, I don't see it doing that. I think it's a feature of the landing system and maybe it's ability yeah. to like give under weight if it's carrying a large amount of weight and auto settles or something. But I do think, and we've had this discussion, several of us have had it saying, you got to get the faster drives. You know, time is money, get the faster drives, and you just have to refuel more. I'm the exact opposite. I'm a logistics guy, and I'm not into, I am into time is money, but I do think what's going to be more important in my engine selection, especially on ships like a Nomad, is a more fuel-efficient engine. Yeah. Right, it doesn't need to be as fast or faster. It needs to be just fast enough, but with more efficient fuel usage to extend my range and reduce the cost per unit that I'm that I'm uh, selling. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think that a very fuel efficient engine could be a higher investment that we're not currently able to choose from right now. Yeah. Um, well, they'll also balance it too, based on the role. They, yeah, these aren't final state, yeah. you know. So we'll we'll see a balance happen at some. Yeah, point. Yeah, I think that's key. I think a lot of the ship stuff is so tentative at this point. Yeah. yeah, it is. It is the one man, you know. But it is, it is the one man ship that the Cutlass Black is for two people. Right? It'll it'll carry a mining craft in the back for a wheeled mining vehicle. It can carry the same amount of cargo as a, a Cutlass Red twice, or as a, um, a Freelancer Durr. It'll carry twice as much as a um, Titan. Um, it has got a bed. It's got a toilet. It's got a closet. It's got, you know, uh, lights and a, a galley. Um it's all accessible from the inside. I don't think there's any parts you can't access, right, um, from the inside. Um, except for the cargo. <laughs> except for the cargo. But you can see the cargo. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think It also has a tractor beam. Oh, yeah. It does have a tractor beam. That's correct. Yeah. I, think it's, uh, I think it is going to be the, the ship of, the, of its type. And I think it is going to be one of those that you could actually make a living off of. Pretty early, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, I know CIG says the like the whole C. I think is like the most popular ship in the verse. You know, because it's NPCs are going to fly and stuff. But I think of ships more like, you know, the Nomad and the Aurora is really being the ships you're going to see the most of. You know what I mean? Because they, right. they have the most day to day utilitarian usage to the average player. Yeah, um, and I think that's where the Nomad really succeeds. Yeah, definitely. Oh, um, and then MK3 also mentioned, thanks for reading this and proving, uh, providing much-needed entertainment in the more mind-numbing moments at my work. Uh-huh. You're welcome. I'm glad Sorry. you find us entertaining. He did include a link to a post about the, the working rock nomad combo, um, so I'm happy to throw that in, um, in the show notes. 
I mean, um, I'll go ahead and add too. I think just with this 314 patch that's coming, the Vicati patch, mm-hmm. one of the notes from CIG says that ships are, because of this whole power management system coming in, ships are under all ships are undergoing massive changes in regards rebalanced. to thruster, fuel efficiency, yeah. and stuff, shield and power, shields, all yeah. that. So, so stay tuned. I, I definitely, mm-hmm. my rule of thumb is, you know, don't buy or sell a ship based off what it is, but based off what it will be. So hang on to it. It'll get better. Yeah. Um, one of the interesting things that I noticed from my notes, too, is that they said anything under a size 3 shield is going to be more like a location-based shield so uh, i think i think that means that I, I don't i couldn't quite get what they were saying with it but it sounds like in other words a, a ship with less than size three shields might have a an easier time penetrating the shield because it'll be instead of one big shield um that's form fitting it, it is going to be more like front facing rear facing etc so I guess gotcha. we'll see what that what that leads to. Um, MG uh, says, since we have insurance for ships, do you think we're going to have insurance for other things? If yes, which do you suggest? Insurance for cargo in case your ships gets raided or attacked? Yeah, I think you're going to have to yeah. have ship for cargo. Absolutely. And I think it's going to be mandatory for some of the missions. Probably. You might even need it in order to take the mission on. Yeah, just like yeah. you might, might now. Um, I, I even think that your insurance is I, – I, I can see insurance becoming almost even a gameplay loop yeah. um, in the future. And that was hinted at a little bit with um, some of the code strings coming in with medical gameplay, but also yep. some of what they talked about, I think it was in the Inside Star Citizen with that yep. mutual insurance thing. I can not only do I see insurance being a thing, but I see you being able to like shop for insurance plans, get the best plan yep. for you, and and maybe even customize those plans. So maybe you're able to get an all-encompassing plan that not only covers your ships but covers your armors, your you know whatever. So I, I see that being an eventual deep gameplay loop. I agree, and well, I even mentioned that like. You, know, you might be able to get better, like the, the insurance group that they mentioned was one of the higher tier ones. Yeah. And they mentioned that you could get, um, which I think is going to, I think you'll go to the, get insurance at the hospital. Um, and they mentioned that like certain ones might give you better cybernetics or you get your chance, your choice of certain things or the DNA will degrade slower. And so you'll mm-hmm. have better cloning for longer, or there might be an advanced feature where you'll wake up in your own hab instead of the hospital and they'll treat you in your hab instead or bring you to your hab afterwards. I th- yeah. So I, I think cargo, much like everything, your, your, your health and well being, your ship, everything, anything the value in the game i think is going to be you know able to be you're able going to be able to get insurance for it in some way or shape or form i also think if you think about it you know a damaged or destroyed ship right um i i think back to the kovalex mission the investigation yeah um there might be like if a ship gets destroyed, an insurance company might put a mission out to go get a black box to see if it was the person's fault or someone else's. Oh, that'd yep. be cool. Yeah, that'd yeah. be really cool. And Those that might impact your insurance. Yeah, 
I'd love that. <laughs> and then a pirate, a pirate might try to get that black box so that they don't get caught with the crime because it was outside of a monitored okay. space. Yeah. So insurance will be immediately followed by fraud. <laughs> fraud, <laughs> right. and, fraud and fraud investigation. Cue, cue the bounty hunters. See how many yeah. gameplay systems come online? Yeah, hacking. You got bounty hunters. <laughs> you got medical gameplay. Yeah. Um, Next up, Canuck2099 has a series of questions. Uh, first, first one is, Leaks has it that the surrender mechanic will involve being scanned by security while in your ship, then give op- given the option to surrender, which it, at which point the screen fades to black and you wake up in prison with a lesser sentence because you didn't mur- murder security, I guess. Considering the time it took, is this a great first step or frankly an underwhelming first iteration? What do you think, Graham? Based off what's available in the files currently for those that know how to dig for this stuff, it looks to me like the surrender mechanic is a much bigger mechanic, but some, a lot of it's just sort of set to off because it's, relying on other systems, namely AI, pathing, and other things. Um, so for right now, until those systems catch up, surrender will be, you select surrender and screen fades to black, you wake up in prison with a shorter sentence. But from what it looks like based off kind of things and files, it seems like there's a deeper system eventually at play. Yeah, because you might be able to have your colleagues rescue you or yes yeah etc colleagues yeah is that what you call fellow pirates your colleagues this is my space pirate colleague your mates your mates maybe blind bill blind bill over here is going to rescue me from you from the prison transport but you know it's not too different than like the current refuel repair rearm functions we know that selecting them and just waiting for a few minutes is not what it will eventually be. Eventually we're going to have our drones come out and they're going to do all that work. So I think this is just that step until the other systems come online. Yeah. I agree. It's a little meh, but um, I, I tend to take the optimist approach to CIG in the sense that I really feel like the past year or two, they've fallen into a, there's purpose behind almost everything they do. And so something might be dependent on this and the fact that maybe they're, maybe they're launching it in game now, maybe see how people respond to it. If they want to take the shorter prison, we don't know. Um, I I think it's truly to get some metrics on how many people opt to fight and how many people opt to to go for the lesser prison sentence. I think, I think they're still trying to figure out is prison too, too less of a punishment or too much of a punishment? Yeah, I think they're still figuring that out. Yeah. But, you know, at one time in the past, and, and you two may know this better than me, but I know they had a subscriber or a, a perk. Maybe it was a pledge perk or subscriber perk or something, but you could get a bounty hunting, like, kit that came with, like, restraints. Yes. Yes. And it was the cutlass blue. Yeah. And so I, I kind of think, like, if you're going so far as to develop restraints which i know are probably for like player to player bounty hunting or player to npc bounty hunting i get that that's a different system but it seems like if you're going that to that level then surrender mechanics will tie into some of that you know what i mean yeah because i would think you could surrender to a bounty hunter 
You know what I mean? Yeah. So we'll see, but it seems like there's too many kind of loose strings out there that could make surrender deeper than just the screen fades to black. So I definitely think this is just tier one implementation, mainly to get metrics on are people surrendering or are they fighting? I agree. I agree. Um, so Canuck's second question, uh, if it wasn't, uh, interesting. Um, if it wasn't already discussed thoughts on the new Gatak cargo ship, having no forward facing guns, nice change to see a cargo ship, not to be outfitted like a dog fighter. I'm looking at you C2 M2 or is it an unfortunate decision that will hamstring the ship? Well, we didn't talk about the guns. What do you think, Graham? Um, well, I've looked at the model pretty thoroughly. Um, I just did a, a short little for fun cinematic using it. Mm -hmm. And I saw that. Yeah. And digging into it, I'm convinced that the turrets can face forward. Um, I am too. Because if at first glance and from a distance, they kind of look like regular turrets, but they are not at all. When you really zoom in, the turrets are connected at an awfully strange angle that suggests that they're going to be able not only to have full 360 degree rotation, but they look like they're going to be able to cover almost 180 degrees on each side of the ship like a 180 degree half a sphere on that side of the ship. Now I'm not confirming that, but just based off the current model and how that model's joints are put together, it looks like it does that, but I could be wrong. Um, we'll just have to wait and see, but I, I actually think those two turrets are going to have a very wide arc of fire. If not 180 degrees, it looks like they're going to cover a lot of ground on either side of the ship. Yeah. What do you think? Well, I think I think you're absolutely right, and I also think that you know the fact that the missile pods sit above the cockpit in the mm-hmm. front, I think, uh, is an indicator this is going to be moving forward um, aggressively. Um, and I suspect, like all alien ships, they tend to be pretty fast and they tend to be a little more agile. Um, but I also wonder if that you know the the spread out nose that that crucifix or the cross shaped actually it's a, it's it's an X not a not a, a plus symbol. Um, I wonder if that isn't going to be some kind of armor shielding um, for when you are being attacked from the front. Yeah, I yeah, mean, it's I definitely have a, a big cross section. <laughs> yeah, I have a feeling this thing because it's Xeon will be able to suppress its signatures pretty intensely yeah um i also get the you sense know, that it's tanky yeah yeah i mean yeah. it's cross section is pretty horrendous <laughs> so yeah. i think with a ship like this with with such a, a terrible cross section mm. um and it will obviously be vulnerable from a cross section standpoint with the new radar ping and scanning gameplay i i think it's probably going to have the ability though to go into a very low like emir signature mode um, I don't know that for sure. I'm kind of guessing, but we do know, I think, to, well, at the time of recording tomorrow, tomorrow, yeah, um, they're having a Q&A on the rail in, and I'm kind of interested to see if someone asks any questions like that. I swear there better not be a question if, you know, are the guns able to be uh, controlled with server blades? I'm, I'm done with that question. <laughs> Some real questions. I just don't understand why people want to solo big ships 
Like that's yeah, not the fun for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. I get it, you know, but like I don't, while I solo a Carrick now, I don't intend to solo a Carrick. Right, right. Um, I agree. I think the the guns kind of speaking of Carrick, they kind of look like the ball turrets on the Carrick, except they're kind of flat. Yeah. They're almost like dish like discs, but they they look like upright discs, mm-hmm. and it looks like that arc could be pretty pretty dangerous so and then all those missiles on the front that's I, I think it could be a pretty compelling uh yeah you know blockade runner even potentially yeah um canuck then asks uh do you think the new missile operator modes will actually or just the new operator modes he didn't say missile will actually motivate players to crew up their multi-seat ships a bit more or not really <clears throat> what do you think grim I think if there, and I think there will be, if there is a distinct advantage for having someone else control your missiles other than you, the pilot. Um, so whether that is a slightly faster lock-on time or whatever that is, um, I, I think as long as the advantage is there, people will go to it. Yeah. Now, one 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 could say the advantage is, well, the pilot can focus on flying, and maybe that's enough. But, um, yeah, I think people are always going to kind of go the easiest kind of the the path of least resistance um, and adding a, a second seat to your ship is already adding complexity. So that second seat, in my opinion, needs to also give you a little bit of a, an advantage. You know what I mean? And, and what I mean by that is, you know, uh, a cutlass piloted by one you know person with no other crewmates on board should be at a disadvantage with a cutlass that is fully crewed in my opinion. Yeah. I you know what I mean? Agreed. And I think that will come into play with like power, like the power relays and stuff that they've showed in the past. Obviously, someone will be able to control that, like an engineer, or repair things on the fly. But I just think that ships that are fully crewed or even crewed a little bit should have some sort of advantage. What do you think, Cigar? I, I agree the same. I'm not a big fan of the AI. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't think that is the right way to go, and I think that. Um. I think a lot of people are asking for it so they can, yeah, like you said, they can be the guy that's fighting, flying a fighter called the hammerhead, you know, with all these turrets. I just don't think that's, um, it doesn't fit with the way my brain works in this, you know, soap opera environment or space opera environment that we're building. Um, you know, uh, the Navy builds aircraft carriers for a reason. They don't just build only PT boats that can carry a nuclear bomb, right? <laughs> or only submarines. There was a purpose for everything. And each of those weapon systems or those ships even just, a, they have a purpose, whether it's monetary gain, whether it's low cost of repair, where it's crew comfort, uh, reduction in labor force. There's always a purpose. Um, and I think that, uh, I, th- I think that, um, ship differentiation right now is is being hindered a little bit by the well i i I just leave it at that i I think yes yeah i i personally agree i agree with both of you and i think like i think uh i just said i think multiple times uh grim the example that you used with a cutlass for instance uh, a cutlass now is going to have pilot controlled the cutlass has quite a bit of pilot controlled guns um I can see, granted, technically, 
a cutlass is only two crew, so someone's usually making the trade off. But if you're not going long distances, you don't need to worry about the beds. You can have three crew. The the pilot can focus on the front forward wep- facing weapons and flying. The the co-pilot can focus on spamming missiles and or managing the power and 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 those capacitors. And then you can have a turret gunner that can make a cutlass pretty compelling. Oh yeah. Um, compared to now you have a single seat fighter that has to determine whether or not they want to use missiles or fire their front facing weapons. Cause they have to switch between modes in order to do it. Right. Yeah. Um, and you I know, think that that's what it's really meant to do is, is make those multi-crew small ships more compelling. Um, you know, I, I, this kind of ties into a question that, you know, Bloody Badger asked about, and uh, as he would say, I rambled on about, uh, none of us answered the question, we just agreed with each other, and I rambled on around something about World War One and World War Two fighters with turrets. But here is, um, this ties in perfectly with a single-person ship versus a multi-crew ship. And he was asking, what could you do with something that has a turret that would make it, uh, especially like the Hurricane, right? Very little weapons for the pilot, lots of weapons for the gunner. How do you make that more useful? So right now, uh, so what I would do is I would make the turret on these ships that are meant to be um, offensive or even defensive, able to lock to a target um, and stay easily locked onto them, but not exactly on site on on the reticle, right? Almost like to, the, almost like the turrets moving towards them, but then you have to keep the reticle on. Correct, them. correct. Yeah, they will easily slap or snap to the most danger. You know, in, in a tank, this is this is not new technology. This is not new technology in a helicopter. The pilot, you know, the crew, the gunner can just look at a target. And the appropriate gun system will aim that way, and he can launch it with a flick of a button, right? Um, so I think that these turrets need to become on those ships need to become more the center of focus than the piloting. Right? The pilot can do everything he can to maneuver the ship, including throw off the gunners. But mm-hmm. if you took something like the Hurricane, which is a, a boom and zoom by its own description, and fast fragile but packing immense firepower and you limited its ability to maneuver aggressively then the guns would stay on the target more effectively and would shred the target right it would it it's gonna it's gonna facilitate the gunner being more useful um versus a blade which would do those same things but should be less accurate than a good gunner who's skilled and experienced should be very close on their abilities, or at least the gunner would be much cheaper than the technology that would be better. Um, So I think that a change in the focus of how the ship operates is what will make those ships effective. Um, So right now there's a lot of ships that are, you know, I ran against, uh, Oh, uh, I was dogfighting the other day and 
what am I I'm thinking of? Uh, Flavius. Uh, mm-hmm. Flavius was basically strafing and staying in the center. And I was, I felt that he was closing on me and I was dog or jousting with him. And I was always trying to circle around him. But in reality, after we talked, he said he was just stationary and he was basically just pivoting on me and tracking me as a turret. If you took something like a hurricane and you gave it the ability to pepper the target all the way in, um, and then the gunner is always relatively on the target, um, and even to the point where it says, if the pilot moves you know, out of his circle... Um, he actually is obstructing the guns versus the other way around. His guns can bear if he puts the target in the circle. Somehow you have to finagle this HUD display. It would help the pilot allow the gunner to be more effective, and then the hydraulics or electric drive of the systems and tracking would allow him to stay on that minutely thrusting, moving, hovering target. Um, So that's how I would change the way those ships work. On a defensive ship, when you're trying to run, I I think that a restrictive amount of fire power to the rear is inefficient right now. Two size one guns defending a freelancer in the back is pretty pretty weak. And on the uh, top, no less. So uh, yeah, all on you the need top. to do is just scoot underneath it. Right. But on the other hand, why does he have two big guns up front? I don't understand that. Um, yeah. I, that seems a little odd. Well, uh, it, so. what I think is also odd is the amount of crew stations on a freelancer. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Only two are mandatory, though, right? You can, yeah. You can actually fly it with one. But does which, a, a freelancer have four beds? It has four beds, yeah. It's a it's a, a freighter. And, you know, if you're thinking about having to manually unload the ship when you land, it's probably not a bad idea to have four. Yeah. Or have two beds just for carrying passengers but now could you imagine a miss where the pilot has the front forward facing guns and now you have someone spamming missiles at the same time and it is a lot easier to stay on target with the guns and then the other person launching missiles the the question will be i'm guessing in missile operator mode it isn't going to be as beholden to what's in the reticle i'm guessing you're going to have your own way of targeting Yes, and I do think that, um, you know, I think that if you're the rear gunner, let's say, on a freelancer and, you know, you're defending a freelancer, why shouldn't you be able to control the missiles? Right, Fire them towards the rear. They're going to drop off, spin, and go. I would imagine you should still be able to, but I don't know. Right, I would even think that the mounts could now become a vertical thing. You know, they come out the bottom or they come out the top vertically, and then they could go forward or backwards or left or right. Yeah, because wow. kind of, now they spit them out and then they head towards the direction instead of just shooting out. Right. Like only, a a, only a fighter, I think, should be of that category. Um, so I, I think there's some little tweaks that could be made. And these are not little things to do, but little changes in orientation to make those very, very effective and really fun for two people. If you're, or four people, let's say you're in a ship that's one person that has all these abilities. I would hope that you're almost overwhelmed, right? And you're not getting the most out of your ship. Whereas two guys 
Yeah, uh, two guys though in the same sh- same ship could split the duties and be very efficient because they're only focused on firing missiles or firing the guns. Um, so I I think it's a, a matter of how you focus, and I think that bringing in these new um, ability to assign capabilities to the co-pilot or the gunners, I think is important. I think it'll, it'll help. Yeah. I, I also I, think I, I would say the one thing we haven't talked about, cause we talked about missiles and such. What we didn't talk about is scanning operating cause that's yeah. supposed to be an operator seat. And right. I can see I that being really, is, yeah. I can, I can see that being really helpful for mining operations um, and give the mole co-pilot seat a reason to exist. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and cost should, you know, cost in the game should be able to get you almost anything out of a single sheet seat ship. But the mm-hmm. price should be going through the roof. I mean, there yeah. is a reason that a fighter now costs, you know, five hundred million dollars, whatever it is nowadays. Yeah. Um they're fully automated, they have massive capabilities. It's ridiculous um how much they cost. Uh, they literally cost more than a battleship did in World War II. Um, I don't think that they would win in a fight against the battleship from World War II. Um, right? So I, I, I think what they're doing is is right on, and I hope I've answered his question and readdressed Bloody Badger's question. Yeah, I think you did. I think you did. Um, his fourth question actually states, no fourth question. I've come to realize that Chekhov finds my questions boring. So my new <laughs> limit is three in an attempt to keep him more fully engaged in the segment. Wink. <laughs> um, <laughs> and Boris Kraken actually asks a question that I think we sort of addressed, but we can use it as a catch-all <clears throat> for anything else we didn't address with it. Um, would you or did you get the new Raylan? For me, no. Too big and the bespoke cargo pods. Chatterpillar for the win. Um, Graham, you mentioned that you didn't get it maybe in game perhaps, or, or you like to see it. I ended up getting it. Um, oh, you did. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The Raylan I ended up getting, um, I, but through some CCUing and, yeah. um, I'm not a hundred percent sure if I keep, I'll keep it. I want to see, um, how it turns out, but, um, it was easy enough to CCU without investing anything. So yeah. Yeah. It was a safe nice. Awesome. Um, and then we know you did two Seaguard. Uh, yeah. I did not get it. I think it's really cool, but I'm trying not to invest in any more ships. Although I do have ships that I would upgrade in a heartbeat if I saw something that I couldn't resist. Um, so yeah. Um, that is it for questions. Now, Seaguard, what's your question for this week? So this one actually comes from Bloody Badger again. This is a good one. And, uh, so the the genesis of this, um, I wrote actually wrote down the question as he was talking about it with me and Snorkel. Um, so this is the discussion about data mining and how involved um, it's going to be, and also how thing you know ships like the MSR with their computer racks are involved. So. Part one of the question was, do you think that data mining will involve decryption? And then how do you think that decryption may be done as a 
in gameplay, right? Um, is it going to be some kind of, you know, turn two wheels, make the microwave signals line up and, you know, boom, it's unlocked or, um, well, one of the thoughts I had was that maybe as a decryption guy, you can buy applications, software tools that you could load into your servers that take up space, right? They take up memory and CPU power in your servers. Um, and you could apply them kind of like we do for refinement, uh, refining. And I really thought of it as refining. Part of the gameplay in my mind is capturing the information. The second, which is kind of like mining, right? You're uh-huh. trying to align antennas or whatever it is, or get close to a location where you can eavesdrop and capture data or even hand steal it. Uh-huh. Um, that's step one, equates the mining. The step two is that you're, you get it to your ship now. And it's in your storage in your MSR server rack or your Drake um, Mercury rack. Um, do you, which of the refinement techniques do you use? In this case, they would now be called decryption techniques. High level of confidence, high cost, you know, lot, potential loss of data, you know, it chances decreased. All these different variables like we see in mining. Um, and that also led me to think that maybe these applications would be kind of like, uh, items you keep on, in your backpack, right? It works kind of like a container. I can Uh only carry so many and I have to have backup physical storage in my locker that I can go pull one out of and replace it on my main server if I have to, like Uh data cards, right? Um, so I saw some similarities there and then. So that's that's one question. How do we think my or how do we think data mining will how involved will it be and what will it feel and look like? And do we think decryption uh how do we think decrypt decryption will be done? The second question was do we think that the MSRs how do we think that the MSR server racks and that data room that we have in there is going to be utilized? That's the second question. So we had things like the store storage descri- uh, decryption software. Um, you know, I, I don't think it's going to involve e electronic warfare or anything else. But any categories you can come up with on on your own that might be used for that would be fantastic. Yeah. So did great. I get the? Did you follow the question? Yeah, it's involved as as they usually are. But I'm. It's a good one. It's kind of like questions upon questions. So, I mean, if I could encapsulate it into two major thoughts, um, what is the process by which we think data mining will work? You know, what will it feel like? What will it look like? Mm -hmm. And then after retrieving said data and storing it on your server rack, what will it look like to decrypt and or what will you have to do with the data following that? Is that yeah, I mean, good enough synopsis? Yeah, I would just throw in the second part. It was how do you think things like the equipment racks and the MSR were going to play into that? Mm-hmm. And I would imagine we're going to learn a lot more about this because I feel like data mining is, is sort of like a bigger version of the hacking gameplay we're going to see in 315. Yep, yep. Is my guess. Yep. 
So great. Well, we will add that question to Discord. Um, Seagard, did you want to add that to Discord or should I? Yeah, I'll let you do that because <laughs> I don't know. I know how to get there, but I don't know what to do when I get there. Uh, it's just Seagard's <laughs> question, but I, I'll do it. Um, I, yeah. Awesome. I have access to the site. I just don't know how to enter the questions now. So just no worries. Um, so if anyone does have any questions, they want to respond to this question for next week's episode, or you want to tell us about what you did for science or anything else, you just want to tell uh, the cast of Readcast. Uh, you can uh, submit your questions via email, readcastsc at gmail.com. Uh, you could DM our Twitter handle at readcastsc. You could submit a message through Anchor. Uh, you could join our Readcast Discord where people uh, engage in asking questions, answering questions, talking about what they did for science, etc. Or you can always text or leave a voicemail at 646-783-8154. Um, and as always, the obligatory plug for Read, if you are looking for an org that's law-abiding, uh, respectful, um, and really stands for um, you know, science and research, take a look at read. Um, and Grimm's organization. Yeah, definitely take a look at star jump. Uh, Grimm, you want to, uh, give a little plug for the org? Yeah, you can find us at star. I think we're just listed as star jump on the, on the org page. You know, we're just, uh, at this point, we're really just kind of a group that's, um, uh, kind of all over the place, but I think our focus as the game becomes more and more developed and more systems come online is to really be a role play focused org. So, yeah, that'll be kind of you know what we build everything around. Awesome, and I will also put a link in the show notes to your YouTube content cool, so that um, anyone who's listening and wants to check out some of your videos can do so. Um, also we have other content creators and read, uh, so don't forget to watch earth's videos on YouTube. And of course, Admiral Cody and Calibri write some amazing music and, uh, including the music that you heard in tonight's episode, you can find their music in the show notes, uh, below. And that wraps up another episode of Readcast. Grim, it was so great to have you. Um, really appreciate your thoughts and your participation. Yeah, I appreciate um, you allowing me to come on. I had a lot of fun. Yeah, it was it was, it was good amazing. You. Yeah, yeah. Um, anytime available, anytime. Awesome. <laughs> well, we're you're welcome to join it anytime as long as we don't have another guest as well. No um, worries. And even then, <laughs> I am looking into some ways of doing uh, live stream of episodes that we can record maybe once a quarter or so. Um, so stay tuned for that. That cool. could be interesting. Um, but thank you, fellow citizens. Thank you, fellow citizens for listening. And we'll catch you next week. <laughs>